This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. How we be on a Tuesday, the Sports Bash. Yes, it's live here on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Jennings producing today's show. You out there Tuesday. Phillies and Marlins set to tangle tonight. Plenty of thoughts on the Fightings as they come down the stretch in the month of August. They are, I don't want to say firmly, but they are currently in a playoff spot in the wild card in the National League. Why should we believe in them? I have some numbers to back it. We've also got plenty of Eagles conversation to dive into on this Tuesday edition. Uh, we were a busy show. Frank Close has the Phillies mailbag in 39 minutes. John McMullen at 3. Adam Kaplan, football at 4. PT's back today. We'll do the uh, PT Entertainment. We'll do... Uh, Holy moly, headlines today. There's a lot happening in the NFL world out there. How about Jason Kelsey? He could miss the start of the season. Uh, He's going to get elbow surgery to deal with some discomfort at his injured elbow. Uh, They're describing it as a routine clean-out. And that, uh, you know, hopefully it's a speedy recovery. I'm hearing anywhere between four and six weeks. And uh, four and a half weeks from now is when the regular season starts. So... Uh, we might see Cam Jurgens become a lot more important all of a sudden. Remember, Kelsey is 35 years old. He signed a one-year deal in the offseason for $14 million to come back for another year with the Eagles. He has been one Eagle. He has been injured or hurt, but not injured. I mean, he has played through injury uh, over the last couple of seasons, but he has not really missed games because of various ailments uh, over the last couple of seasons. He's about the one lineman who has not missed time because of different injury issues. But uh, maybe now it's his time that the injury bug taps on his shoulder. So Kelsey, um, surgery on the elbow, he could miss the start of the season. Hey, don't forget, uh, you can enter to win a chance to go see the Eagles play Washington in Washington on September the 25th. Go to our website, 97.3ESPN.com, to enter. If I call out your name this hour, I'm going to call a name out this hour, that person is entered for a chance to win that bus trip thanks to Philly Sports Trips. We're going to be live. All the details are on our website, 97.3ESPN.com. But we will be live um, August the 26th. I got all these dates in my head, right? At Garden State Brewery, which is over there on the White Horse Pike in Apsikin. And uh, we'll be there live. All our qualifiers will be there. And then one lucky winner will be selected. And that person is going to go see the Eagles take on the Washington Commanders down in Washington. You get a chance to go see uh, the Carson Wentz-led Commanders down there in Washington. So no Phil's last night, right? So, uh... What happened in the night that the Phils were off yesterday? All right, well, let's take a look. You know, the Phillies don't play. There's still some ground to be made. They actually lost ground in the East because the Mets won again. So the Phillies are now 10 games back. That number 10 has not changed all that much really since I left for Europe. I mean, it's been about three weeks now that that number 10, they have not really been able to gain any ground on the 71 
and 39 Metropolitans. Where they have made up some ground, as we know, is in the National League wildcard, which they are now a full game up over the Padres, who lost again last night. They've now lost five straight games. So Philadelphia is firmly in the second spot. But here's the number that I think we need to discuss and really kind of start the beginning of our show with here. Do you know that through 108 games, this Philadelphia Phillies team is 60 and 48? That is a better record than the 1980 Phillies had at this stage of the season when they were 56 and 52. That is a better record than the 2008 Phillies had at this stage of the season when they were 59 and 49. Those two teams won the World Series. If the Phillies of today were 56 and 52, we probably wouldn't have all that much belief in them, would we? At 56 and 52, they'd be about two and a half games out of a wild card spot. But at 60 and 48, they are one game better than the pace of the 2008 Philadelphia Phillies, which... For many people listening in our audience, if you're of the younger generation, that may be the best Phillies team you've ever seen. The 2008 Phillies, other than the 1980 Phillies, are the only team to ever win a World Series. And you could make a strong case that the 08 Phillies are better than the 80 Phillies. Now, we can go back and forth on that. I know Charlie Manuel, I think, uh, hinted at something over the weekend, and uh, he did mention that he thought the 08 Phillies would probably beat the 80 Phillies. Right. Charlie's position, for those who didn't hear the broadcast, which I I found out very quickly, Mike, that apparently Nas maybe were watching the broadcast at that time. I I assumed a comment like that would blow up Twitter, and it did it. And I was like, huh, all right. Maybe people agreed with him. Or maybe because it was Saturday night, people were actually out doing things, unlike me at at that point. But I digress. Now, Charlie's point was because he was in the booth with McCarthy and Kroc because they asked him, he said, you know, hey, you know, that 2018, the 80 Phillies, the only team to win the World Series. And Charlie said, you know, they asked him, so who would you pick? You know, and he says, well, he said, I'm not just saying it because I was the manager, he says, but I would take the 08 team in a series, not just in a one-off, in a series, because he believes that the 08 Phillies would be able to find more ways to produce runs, you know, hit and run, stealing bases, than the 80 Phillies. That was his opinion. Um, And it's arbitrary, right? I mean... Incredibly arbitrary. If you look back at the two teams, they're way different, right? The two teams are highly different. I mean, you got a guy... Talk about how different the two teams are. Just take a look at first base where you have Ryan Howard, a guy who had the ability to hit 58 home runs in a season. Uh, Pete Rose had one home run in the 1980 season. Think about that. Pete Rose had one home run. He hit 282 with one home run that season. Pete Rose hit king. (laughs) He wasn't home run king, I can tell you that much. It was singles. But he had one home run, one, the whole season. That 1980 season, for as important as people think Pete Rose was, and I'm not saying that he wasn't, he was more important as a clubhouse guy than he was as a producer. He hit 282 with one home run in that season in 1980 for the Phillies. How many runs did he score that year? I don't have it in front of me right now. He scored 95 runs that year. I think he was in the two-hole. 
That's what I thought, yeah. You had, think about this. Talk about the differences in the lineups. Look at the Phillies lineup in 1993. And how many guys on that team had double-digit home run season, right? You had uh, 2008. Did I say, what What did I say? You said 93. Did I say 93? Okay. I thought you were going somewhere else with the conversation. No. Um, if you look at the, the 08 Phillies roster. Yeah. And just take a look at the, the balance in the lineup in terms of home runs. Howard, 48. Utley, 33. Rollins, 11. Uh, Felice had 14. Burl had 33, Victorino 14, Jason Wirth had 24. Everybody on the whole roster, other than the catcher, Carlos Ruiz, had double-digit homers. And then Jenkins had nine, Coast had nine, and Dobbs had nine coming off the bench. And you could argue if any of those three guys would have played a little more, they might have gotten 10. Sure. Especially Jenkins. The 80 team, you had Mike Schmidt with 48. The next highest output was 19 from Greg Lazinski. And then Gary Maddox had 11. Not one other player had over double-digit amount of home runs on the entire roster on the 80 team. So you talk about what Charlie Manuel said, that they can manufacture more runs. That's an interesting comment considering this team had barely any home runs. You know what they did have? They did have a lot of guys contributing. You know, even Bake McBride had 87 RBIs that year. And, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of fans today even know who Bake McBride is. But he was second on the team in 1980 in RBI. So, you know, it kind of gives you an idea that that team did have a lot of depth, but they weren't a lot of power hitters. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, but my point is Manuel's comment is that the 90, uh, the, the, the 08, 08 team yeah. could score more ways. Where it seems like a lot of their runs came from the home run, where the 80 team seemed like they scored in more ways than just the home run. So Bake McBride having 87 RBI is a point of they were able to score without hitting home runs. So Manuel's comment almost doesn't make sense is what I'm saying. Right. And I I built these numbers before, Mike. I I compared the 80 to the 08 team, and I found that if you go off of resumes – the 1980 Phillies had a total of 71 All-Star selections on their roster. The 2008 Phillies had 28 in their careers. That's a huge gap of, like, you know, player resume. It is, but I don't think it's a fair way to judge this particular team. For instance, Pete Rose, probably how many All-Star games did Pete make? 17. He was nowhere near an All-Star for the Phillies. No, he was. So you're basically judging his past resume and saying because he made how many All Star games? Seventeen. Seventeen All Star games. Think about the amount of All Star games he made. So he had all of these All Star level seasons before he came to Philadelphia because he did not have an All Star level season in 1980. He had 282 with one home run. Right. So him being a 17 time All Star does not factor in. Like obviously in 1980 version of 39-year-old Pete Rose, you would go with Ryan Howard over Pete Rose in that spot. 100%. You, you would take him, but then you get the you know the other guys, you know, Rollins or Boa. You know, Rollins is obviously the better offensive player, but Larry Boa, for whatever reason, got selected to do a bunch of All-Star games in his career. Well, you have to also keep in mind the era that they played in. There was less teams at that time, mm-hmm. you know. The shortstop position 
in that time frame was more of a defensive position than it was an offensive position. Right. Right? You had guys that if they gave you anything offensively, and Larry Boa hit 267 that year, that was like, oh, my God, our shortstop's hitting 267. This is unbelievable. Where generally the shortstop, you know, was hitting 220, batting eighth, and and basically, you know, you were hoping that he was a gold level 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 fielder. Now, That's the other point I was going to get to. Rollins was a four-time gold glove winner. Right. You would say Rollins is a better defensive player. He was a better offensive player than Boa as well. Not to mention, he was a league MVP. Correct. Larry Boa was not that level of player. So you're taking Howard over Rose. You're taking Boa. No, you're taking Rollins over Boa, I should say. Close, but you would take Rollins over Boa. Right. Then you got... You would take Chase Utley over Manny Manny Trio, Trio. And that's no... I mean, Manny Trio was a... Gold glove gold level glove defensive winner. player, and not to mention he, that year in two thousand in uh, nineteen eighty, he hit two ninety two. Right. So you're. It's not like these guys are chumps, but it's interesting. The only Charlie position that, that is clear would be Mike Schmidt at third base over Pedro Feliz. Yeah, and if you want to take it even further, you could also say that you know I think a lot of people, if they're being reasonable, would take Maddox over Victorino in center. Yeah, absolutely. No, I was going to say the other spot would probably be. Um, yeah, you would you would take Maddox over Victorino. Defensively, Maddox was outstanding. Yeah, he was legendary. Offensively, they were probably similar type right. of players. That's why I'm saying you know Maddox has one major thing. Yeah, you know Bake I mean? McBride, three oh nine with nine homers and eighty seven RBI. That year, Jason Worth was absolutely outstanding. And then left field, you had two similar players, Lazinski and Burrell. Right. So now Burrell, <laughs> that year, you know Lazinski hit two twenty eight with nineteen home runs. Burrell. Hit 250 with 33 homers. Yeah, 33 home runs is pretty nice. Significantly more power from Burl in that particular season. The 80 season uh, and the the 08 seasons we're comparing here. Then, So I think the lineup would go to the 08 team. Right. I think once you go position by position, you realize that the 08 team had a lot of things that the 1980 team didn't have, which lines right up. With, with what Charlie's point was. Charlie never brought up the pitching. Charlie's whole point was the hitting, the lineup. He felt that they would be able to produce more runs. Well, see, the pitching is interesting because they had Steve Carlton, who was 24-9 and that year with a 234 ERA. I mean, he was absolutely wicked that season. And he is far superior to any player. <laughs> and by the way, he won the Cy Young Award that. In 80, he won the Cy Young, if my memory serves. He was the Cy Young Award winner that year. I think he won a Cy Young before that and then again after. So, But 80 might have been the best season that he ever had, right? I mean, he was 24-9 with a 234 ERA in 300 innings that season. My God, he took 300 innings that season. So Carlton would be better than Cole Hamels, who was basically the Phillies' ace in 08. Then after that, I mean, the Phillies' number two pitcher that year was Jamie Moyer. Who was sixteen and seven? He had a really good year, but both teams had a little bit of a drop off to that number two. Like Dick Ruthven, Bob Walk, Randy Lurch, uh, Larry Christensen. He was a young kid who came up and and you know late in the year and got a bunch of starts for them. Neither team had this jump off the page pitching, but they had Carlton. But keep in mind, while Carlton won the Cy Young Award. Cole Hamill's counters with he won the MVP of the NLCS and he was the MVP of the World Series. Yeah, like Cole Hamill's 
was at his best when it mattered the most. Then you had Lidge, who was perfect 48 for 48 that season, and Tug McGraw, who was epic that year. He had a 146 year. He only had 20 saves. The, the, the save was not as big of a deal back in that time. So, I don't know. I, I, I feel like... Um, the bigger thing to me was McGraw had 75 strikeouts in 92 innings. Yeah. So, to me, Lidge was more of a swing and miss guy. He was going to get more guys. So, I would take Lidge in that conversation over McGraw. Yeah, Lidge had 92 strikeouts in 69 innings. He had that slider that year that, that was basically out. just a wipeout pitch. He had a 195 ERA. He was perfect 48 for 48. I've been on record as saying that Brad Lidge had maybe the most important season in the history of Phillies baseball to go perfect. I mean, he did not have one night where he had a a night off where he didn't have it. And they needed almost every single one of his saves. If he has one blown save and it happens to be in the National League Championship Series or in that World Series, he got every single one. But their bullpen that year with Durbin and Madsen and Romero might have been... It might have been a little deeper than the 80 Phillies uh, bullpen. But keep in mind, their starting pitchers went, I mean, Carlton went 300 innings that year. Uh, Dick Ruthven threw 220 innings that year. So, I don't know. It, it's a hard conversation to pick a, a legit, like, this team was better than that team. I would say the other thing was is that back then you didn't have the type of fireball throwers that you have in today's game. So you have to wonder, you know, how how would that roster have been maybe built differently? Is there a possibility that, for example, you know, a Dickie Knowles or a Warren Brewstar, are they even on the roster in today's world? Or is somebody else getting those roster spots? You know what I mean? Well, it's definitely a different era. There's no question about it. Like, that was a completely different era. And look, there wasn't as many teams back then. There wasn't as many levels of playoff that you had to go through back then. You think about this. The Phillies won the East. When you won the East, you went right to the National League Championship Series. They only had to play a five-game series against the Astros. Yeah, it wasn't even seven. It was five. They played a five-game series against the Astros. They beat them three games to two. And that put them right to the World Series. You think about, you play 162 games to go to the playoffs and play a five-game series. Back then, it was the Eastern Division against the West. The NL East versus the NL West. And the Phillies won the East, and the Astros won the West, and they played in the NLCS. It was a five-game series. The Phillies won in five games. And they went on to win the World Series over the Kansas City Royals. And that was your playoffs. I mean, now, even the 08 Phillies didn't have to go through as much as you have to go through now. But they had to go through considerably more than what the 80 Phillies did. The Phillies won the division. They beat the division series over Milwaukee three games to one. That was a five-game series back then. Mm -hmm. Then they go to the National League Championship Series. They beat the Dodgers in five games. In a seven-game series, they beat them four games to one. And then they beat the Tampa Bay Rays four games to one in the World Series. But they had to beat three teams to win the World Series as opposed to just two teams. And it was just a completely different era. We talked about the amount of home runs the Phillies hit. 
in 2008 as opposed to the team in 1980. So just by that, are you saying, all right, the Phillies' offense was more dangerous? Eh, probably. But it was more dangerous for the era that they played in. Right. By the way, you ever watched Ken Burns' baseball documentary? Yep. So when they go into this season, the one of the things they bring up is about how Joe Necro only started one game in the five-game series. Joe Necro went 10 innings and gave up no runs in that start. That game was won by the Astros in the 11th inning, one nothing. And one of the things they bring up in the, in the Ken Burns doc is, you know, if that was a seven-game series, Necro would have gone in game six. Hmm. Would that mean they would have gone seven games and who the Phillies pitching in that seventh game? You know, so there's you know always that what if in the back of your mind if uh, if the rules were different, what the Phillies even have gotten to the World Series? Well, listen, the '80 team, and we talk about the '08 team. The '08 team was not their best team. You know that you could make an argument they won 92 games that year. Yeah. The next season they won 93 games. The 2010 season they won 97 games, and the 2011 season they won 102 games. So you could make an argument. That the 2011 team that lost in the division series to the Cardinals may have been the best team that they had. By the way, the same goes for the 80 team. You you realize that that team in 80, a lot of those guys were getting old at that point. Like, they were not in the primes of their careers anymore. You go back to 77 when they won 101 games, they didn't win the World Series that year. That's my point, is just because the team won the World Series... That doesn't necessarily mean that was the best team that they had. Like, the 08 Phillies was not the best team that the Phillies had in that run. They, the 11 team was the best, but they didn't win the World Series that year. And much like the 80 team, the 80 team was not their best team. But that was the one that won the World Series. Right. But they had better teams in that run that... Did not win World Series. You know, you mentioned the 77 team. Uh, they were better in uh, 78. They won 90 games. And that team, um, they ended up losing in the National League Championship Series to the Dodgers that year. Two straight years they lost to the Dodgers in the Championship Series. 77, they won 101 games. They lost to the Dodgers. 76, they won 101 games. They lost to the Reds. So they were winning 100 games a couple of seasons there. And never won the World Series. It was the teams that actually had the least amount of wins that ended up cashing in that World Series ticket. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I would tend to lean to talk about Steve Carlton's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. I don't think that Cole Hamels is one of the greatest pitchers of all time. No. Mike Cole Smith's Hamels. one of the greatest players of all time. Right. The 0-8 Phillies don't have one of the greatest players of all time. Like, do you no. think the 0-8 Phillies have any Hall of Famers on it? I think they have one. At least. Who's that? I think Jimmy Rollins should be in the Hall of Fame. You look at who's already in the Hall, and half those guys don't even have MVP awards. Rollins won an MVP. He was a four-time Gold Glover. He was considered one of the best of what he did for a very long time. You could argue he had the greatest longevity of those three guys, Howard, him, and Upland, when it came to just durability and play. Well, you got Schmidt, you got Carlton, and you have Rose. Now, now Rose was not playing at a Hall of Fame level. But he is a Hall of Famer. Right. You would say he's a Hall of Famer, but he's not playing at a Hall of Fame level. Right. So you have minimally three. Boa has been talked about a little bit, but I wouldn't say that he was a Hall of Fame Bob player. Bob Boone's considered one of the greatest defensive catchers of all time. 
fun conversation, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. But think about this. What started this conversation is the Phillies threw 108 games. The 2022 Phillies have a better record than the 08 Phillies and the 80 Phillies do to this point of the season. Does so, that make you a believer? Well, I'll give you a number on the other side why you should be a believer. And that number is coming up next here on the Sports Bash Live. Plus, I have another name. You can enter to win a trip to go see the Eagles, take on the Commanders in Washington. I'm going to call out another qualifier on the other side. So if you have not entered yet, go to our website, 973ESPN.com, and enter to win a bus trip with Philly Sports Trips down to Washington. Pair of tickets is yours. The bus ride, you'll be on it, and you'll see the Eagles take on Carson Wentz and the Commanders. I'll have that winning name coming up next. Now, back to the Sports SPN. At 231 Sports Bash, if you enter to win an Eagles road trip, we're sending one lucky listener and a friend to Washington to see the Eagles take on Carson Wentz and the Commanders. Go to our website, 973ESPN.com, to enter. I got another qualifying name right now. This person will be live at Garden State Brewery on August the 26th, and if they're not there, they're not winning. You got to be present to win. And our latest winner, our latest qualifier, I should say, is uh, Joseph Carson. Joseph Carson. If you're out there, Joseph Carson, give us a call. 609-403. Excuse me, 609-573-3776. 609-573-3776. If you know Joseph Carson, let him know he just qualified to win an Eagles road trip. Look, imagine if you're the person that called Joseph Carson. Said, yo, they just called your name out on the radio. Maybe he'll take you to the the game. Certainly possible. Is that worth the, uh, you know, I'd love to go down there and check that out. I know the stadium down there, a lot of people have always, you know, they had the problems with the stadium down there. Mm-hmm. But I would love to go check out a game with Wentz down there. And I, you know what I would like? Because you're getting to go with Philly sports trips. You're going to be on the bus trip with them. Right. Watching how the Eagles fans take that stadium over. That's what's the best part about being down there. Is that the Eagles fans always go to Washington and just kind of take that place over. And it's going to be Wentz's first game against the Eagles. Oh, my gosh. The drama's dripping, man. I mean, there's nothing better than – it's not just a Philly sports team. It's when you go watch a game and you – like, wait a minute. The other team's got more fans here than they do. (laughs) It's just the dynamics of the game change so much in the environment. you have a chance to qualify. We'll do another name uh, all throughout the day today. Listen, uh, if I'm in a good mood, I'll call out a name. It's all it takes, right? We did it yesterday. Yeah, we we qualified. How many people yesterday? Six or seven? Six. Six people we qualified. The yesterday. original plan was four, but you got six. Yeah, we ended up getting six. Well, you know, I we were at the um, ocean yesterday at the uh, the gallery, which was unbelievable, dude. That place was really cool. But we said, if you're listening, 
to stop out and see us and say, you know, hello. And the first person that did that, and somebody came up and said hello, and we gave them a hat, and we entered them in to win a trip. So you could win the trip uh, next Monday. We'll be live there as well, and every Monday. So uh, make an appointment to come on out and see us live at the gallery at Ocean, uh, the gallery bar book and games at Ocean Casino all football season long, all right? So uh, our latest qualifier, Joseph Carson, 609-573-3776. Joseph Carson. Okay, so I told you the Phillies threw 108 games. They're 60 and 48. That's a better pace than the 80 team. It's a better pace than the 08 team. Some people might say, I still don't believe in them. Well, how about this? Through the last 58 games of the baseball season, all right, from today, 58 games back, it's a decent sample size, about 60 games. The Dodgers are 42 and 16, and the Phillies are 39 and 19. They have the second best record in baseball going back. 58 games. That's three months, uh, two months of baseball. That's two full months of baseball. You're going back to June the 1st, essentially. The Dodgers have the best record in baseball in that time frame. The Phillies have the second best. And you might say, okay, what does that mean? It's only 58 games. Listen to the other teams that are here, though. And then ask yourself, do I believe in those teams? Because if you believe in all those teams... You would almost have to believe in the Phillies. Do you believe in the Dodgers? Yes. Do you believe in the Braves? Yes. The defending World Series champions, you better. Although they came up lame this past week. Well, I'm saying yes because of the fact that I feel like they did enough at the deadline. You know, I mentioned this last time again that, Mike, you know, the Phillies only have two losses since being swept by the Cubs coming out of the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. Those two losses are to the Braves and to the same pitcher, Strider. So, to me, I feel like if the Braves can just get everything else in order, they can they can still make a run to the World Series again. All right, next up is the Astros. Believe in the Astros? Yes. Of course you do. You believe in the Mariners? I the Mariners in, are I believe in them now they have Castillo. 59-52 and 52 is the Mariners' record. They are 11 and a half games behind the Astros. The problem with the Mariners is with Rodriguez out, can they hang tight long enough for him to get back from that injury. Do you believe in the Mets? I do. I believe in DeGrom and Scherzer. They are 36-22 and 22 over the last 58. That's a 621 winning clip. By the way, the Mets are currently 71-39, and 39, first place in the East. The last team of that group, do you believe in the Orioles? No. They are 35-23 <laughs> and 23. Over the last 58 games, which is a better record than the Yankees. The I Yankees mean, are not one of the teams on that list. I mean, they trade away too many guys at the deadline. I mean, they trade away their closer, Lopez. They trade one away their best hitters, Mancini. They, I don't think they have the steam to keep up. I don't either, but uh, they've been a great story. In fact, if you looked at Twitter last night, or I guess uh, over the weekend, Oriole Park at Camden Yards was full. I yes, mean, I've was. been around Camden Yards when that place has can't draw flies, <laughs> I mean, I'm talking four to five thousand people in that place. Yeah, they were a packed house the other night. Good for them. Yeah, good for them is right. 609-403-0973. So I tell you, the Phillies have the second best record 
in baseball over the last two months. They have a better win-loss than the 80 team and the 08 team. So does all that add up to a team that you trust? 609-403-0973. All right, Frank Close has his Phillies mailbag. It's posted right now on our website, 973ESPN.com. We have another qualifier. We just gave you Joseph Carson is qualified for a chance to win an Eagles road trip to Washington. How can you win? How can you qualify? Go to our website, 973ESPN.com. All the details are right there for you. And if I call out your name next hour, you could go see the Eagles take on Carson Wentz and the Commanders in Washington on September the 25th. Philly's Mailbag with Frank Close is coming up next. Now, back on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey Sports Leader. All right, 244 Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. We'll check in on the Phillies mailbag. Frank Close, get your game on at the Gallery Bar Book and Games and Ocean Casino Resort this football season. We'll be there every Monday. Go to the Gallery and Ocean Casino Resort. Go for the win. For more information, visit OceanAC.com. You must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Stop out on a Monday this year. Every Monday, the Sports Bash at the Gallery Bar Book and Games at Ocean Casino. All right, let's check in on the Phillies. They're back in action tonight. They're taking on the Miami Marlins, a team that has kind of been a pain in their butt. Uh, in previous years, Frank, they have seemingly have uh, fixed their problems against this Marlins team, they swept them down there in Miami. Uh, they beat them two out of three up here in Philadelphia. So is the bugaboo with the Marlins, is this team good enough where they are now taking care of business against the bad teams like the Marlins? I think so. A lot of their holes have been cleared up. I mean, even since they faced the Chicago Cubs, they, they, they clearly were a lot better against the Pittsburgh Pirates in Pittsburgh and then the Washington Nationals at home. I think that they've filled a few of those little holes that they've had. I think they're playing with a lot more confidence. And if, if anything, I could criticize the Phillies about this last four games is their pitching almost got bored when they were up so many runs. <laughs> that seemed to lead them being a little bit sloppy. But but you know what? You can't write the Marlins off. The Marlins are still pretty good. You still have on contra pitching one of these games, I believe the middle game tomorrow. So the Phillies need to stay on their top of their game in order to take some games for the Marlins. These are teams they should beat. In the past, they used to play down to the competition. Maybe they've gotten over that. Uh, all right, let's answer some questions. Gary wants to know, uh, what do the Phillies do with Hall when Harper comes back? Um, that's been a question we've been talking about you know, the last week or so is, Derek Hall's been hitting. What happens when Harper comes back? You know, every time I think that I have Hall figured out, he's, he continues to impress me and surprise me. I, I admitted last last month that when he uh, was called up, I, th I thought, well, I've I've written him off unnecessarily. He seems to got a little bit something now. What the Phillies are doing is they're keeping him ready for the right matchups. Only six of his at bats have come against left-handed pitching, the rest against right-handed pitching. And if he if if he's giving you what he's giving you, which is an OPS nine thirty three and these eight home runs, all against right-handed pitching, he's hitless against the lefties then they can find spots for him to mix and match so if the first part of the question is really about his playing time i can see them resting reese hoskins against a 
a tough righty. He could do the same with Nick Castellanos if Bryce Harper is able to play the field, which apparently is a possibility. Uh, so they can kind of find some spots, use him as a pinch hitter late in the game against a tough right-hander. So I think there's there's ways that you can sort of mix him in. Now the question would be his roster spot. But once you get to September 1st, you do get two extra roster spots in Major League Baseball. Traditionally, you give one to a third catcher and another to a pitcher. They might be able to forego that third catcher and keep him around. You know, Harper, realistically, maybe he's not back before September 1st. If he is, that's great. But once September 1st comes, you can find a spot for Hall in that roster. Right. You might be able to find a spot for him to stay on the roster, but there's not going to be a whole heck of a lot of at-bats for him, correct? Well, again, unless you want to make sure that you, you get guys rested heading into the playoffs, if that's your goal. I mean, I don't think you're going to lose a whole lot if you put him in, let's say, at first base against a uh, a tough righty that maybe gives Hoskins a day off. Or, again, if Harper's in the outfield, you know, uh, then you can give Castellanos a day off. So uh, they'd have to work on that there. You're not um, going to see that, just... though, in a playoffs. He's not going to face, like, a righty in a playoff game and have Castellanos sit, right? It, probably not in a playoff game, but in the month leading up to the playoffs, you want to keep the guys healthy and rested. You might be able to pick your spots to get him in there a little bit. Um, Kevin wants to know, it's never too early to think about uh, who goes on the Wall of Fame next year after the mess we had this past weekend. <laughs> Are we even thinking about that? Well, I don't think it's too early, but I think one thing is kind of clear. They got Pat Burrell in. In 2015, he was the first retirement, really, of that 2008 team. It's about time to start putting the 2008 team on that wall. Now, for me, the biggest question would be, of Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, and Ryan Howard, who do you start with first? Well, I guess if you go by the retirement dates, uh, the one out of the game first was Jimmy Rollins, but he was the one called up first. So maybe that's the good place to start. And then beyond that, you had Chase Utley come up next, although he exited later. And then Ryan Howard came up third. So I would I would make sure that those three are lined up for the next three. But the problem would be, I guess, is, try, is trying not to slight one of them. Um, maybe they'd even be willing to do all three at once. Could they honor the triumvirate at the same time? Uh, that's something I would consider, too, if I were the Phillies. But I, I think clearly they were trying to get this 40th anniversary celebration in from the 2020 season that, that of course, was uh, interrupted by covid and so that 40-year celebration finally happened. They got a couple of the AD Phillies in. I think now that that's over, it's time to start putting some of these 2008 Phillies onto the Wall of Fame, where they, of course, will be long. I guess a bigger question with that group is, who doesn't get on the Wall of Fame at some point? <laughs> so if I, I, was, I was kind of thinking about that as I was writing this answer. So obviously the big three, and then Cole Hamels, of course, Carlos Ruiz, Brad Lidge, his perfect season, uh, Shane Victorino, you could put in Jamie Moyer. Like I think th- there's enough of these players that that made a big enough impact. I mean, if you look at who came in from the '80s, does Lidge I mean, have enough? Re- does Liv have enough years? He does. He does. So he, he what? He got traded ahead of the '08 season, and he was there through what 2011 or so. You, know, you you need four now: eight, nine, ten, eleven. So Tommy didn't even hit a full four, and he still made it. So yeah, so Lidge Lidge would be eligible. And really, really, most of that roster would be worthy of that, especially when you consider the standards for some of the other players that are on the Wall of Fame. It seems like the the core of that team. Well, I agree which with is that. A big core. I agree which with is that. A big core. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I mean, realistically, you could go around the whole diamond and say every one of those guys has a case to get in. I mean, Ruiz, who was probably statistically speaking 
the the weakest player was one of the more popular players. Yeah, I mean popularity alone, and, and the fact that he caught all those games with Roy Halladay later, including the perfect game and no hitter. I think Ruiz is de- is a lock for that Wall of Fame. It's just the question is how you're going to do them. I think it's time to get started on that. Well, you probably, you know, you, as you said, you might do the big three together, and then maybe you do three at a time each year. Yeah, I, you, you could do that. I mean, they put they put on two yesterday, so uh, excuse me on um, Saturday. So I think it's I think it's something they could do, especially when so many people think of those three together. I think it's a real possibility that they could do something like that. Yeah, and then another question from uh, Kevin wanted to know uh, about Dan Baker. I mean, is he a guy that they should uh, think about putting up there? Yeah, I I would. Uh, they've already established the precedent that Harry Callis got on posthumously. You let Pat Gillick on as a general manager for creating the 2018. I think he really does deserve that honor as well. And the thing about Dan Baker, you don't have to honor him on his own, I mean, you could you could pair him with a player like Pat Gillick was paired with Roy Halladay. So I think that that's a that's a real possibility and, a, and an honor he really deserves. To, to be frank, now they just celebrated his 50 years. I was kind of disappointed in the communication uh, at 6:30. There were not many fans in the seats. Uh, aside from the Citizens Bank Park Twitter handle, I did not see it advertised anywhere that the that the ceremonies would start at 6:30. I know once I knew that they were starting at 6.30, I made sure I was seated at 6.30, but a lot of people didn't get the memo, and I think he certainly deserves it. You know, 50 years, one, one thing Dan Baker told me once upon a time was that he had hoped to match Bob Shepard of the Yankees, who did 56 years. So, uh, you you know, you want to see him reach that 56, but I hope they don't take Dan Baker for granted. I hope they put him on that wall of fame. Yeah, that would be nice. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, that that uh, 2008 team, you also have to bleed a little bit into 9, 10, 11, and 12. Some guys that weren't on the 08 team, I'm imagining, would be considered as well, like a Cliff Lee maybe. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> the players that follow, I mean, Raul Labanez, he was a very popular player. You could you could conceivably put him on. So uh, Jonathan Papelbon, right, very the <laughs> all-time the saves leader for the Phillies. Well, I don't know. He's the most popular. Jose but, Mesa. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that, Mike. But uh, isn't he the but, wasn't he the all time saves leader at one point? He was, he was. Actually, he I think he got it when he came back to the team in two thousand seven or something like that, where he appeared just a little well, bit. Well, here's <laughs> the thing: you have to put on as many oh eight, nine, ten, eleven guys as possible because from the years eighty to ninety two, there was nobody. From from eighty one to ninety two, there's nobody, and from ninety four to oh seven, there's nobody. So you've got to get them all from that one era, or really the two eras, the the, the 76 to 80 and the 07 to 12. Other than that, you don't have anybody. Right. I mean, Mike Lieberthal and Bobby Abreu, those boxes are already checked off. So uh, they could put Scott Rowland on. But at this point, it's time to start these big boys. Yeah. All right. Frank Close, 97.3 ESPN.com. His Phillies mailbag every Tuesday here on the Sports Bash. Phillies and Marlins tonight, big series. They're all big now. Phillies are the second seed in that wild card race. We'll have more on that tomorrow right here on the Sports Bash. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Mike. All right, Frank will be back next Tuesday. And if anything breaks during the week, he'll be here on the Sports Bash. All right, I'm Mike Gill. Don't forget, you can enter to win a trip to go see the Eagles in Washington against the Commanders. Go to our website, 97.3ESPN.com. For details on how you can win, 
a trip to go see the Phils, excuse me, the Eagles in Washington. Speaking of the Phils, got a text message that just came in. It says, this is the first time in like 10 to 12 years I felt confident in a Phillies team. And they don't even have Harper back yet. If he picks up where he left off, I think we are all going to be enjoying some October baseball in Philly. I tend to agree with you there, sir. Good text. 609-403-0973. Keep the text messages coming. I'm here till 6. When we come back, Johnny Mack in the house. Talk a little Eagles and NFL. Don't go away. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, second hour of the show, we're going to check in on the Birds, the NFL. John McMullen from Birds 365 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Set to join me right now here on this Tuesday as the Eagles got some news uh, over at training camp today, which uh, could impact the start of the season. We'll dive into that and more Eagles NFC East stuff as well. John McMullen, who's back here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN as we take you up to the Novacare Center today uh, where the Eagles had some news on center Jason Kelsey. And I was talking about, John, you know, over these years, the Eagles have had a ton of injuries on the offensive line. Now, he has had some injuries. None have caused him to miss games. He's been like the one guy. You wonder now if he's going to be the guy that all these injuries finally catch up to, and he might now be in danger of missing the start of the season. So what do we know about where Kelsey is right now? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the Eagles kind of downplayed it at first during practice because everybody, you know, kind of panics uh, the fan base when Jason Kelsey's not out there. So um, they kind of said, you know, he's got an elbow injury, but it's not that serious. And then all of a sudden after practice, uh, it, it comes down that he's going to have um, – uh, routine clean-out surgery, which I always laugh at that term routine because routine surgery is yeah, routine for anybody who's not having the <laughs> surgery. So it's never routine for the people having the surgery. So basically he had uh, discomfort in the elbow. It's always really, really um, braced up and padded up. Uh, it's his left elbow, uh, and they're going to clean it out, and – you know, I think the timing was key. Um, Jason, as you mentioned, yeah, I think the number is 122, Mike, straight consecutive regular season games. Uh, hasn't missed a game since 2014. Um, he plans to play in week one, but obviously you're not going to see him anymore in the preseason. Now, the only, you know, which we weren't expecting to any, we weren't expecting to see him in preseason anyway. Right? Now, when that, you know, maybe a series here or there, but I, I doubt it. Uh, I doubt it. Um, it, it. You know, started looking around, arthroscopic elbow surgery. Um, uh, Falcons receiver had it in 2015. Um, uh, I can't think of the name. I'll try to look it up in just a second. And he had it August, late August, and was back for the first game, which was on September 14th. So definitely... I mean, anybody who knows Jason, I'd be stunned if he's not out there week one. And, you know, maybe it's a a, a silver lining. You get Cam Jurgens, a rookie uh, center, second-round pick, more reps in, in the preseason. And, 
maybe that's a positive thing. But he, I, I go back to last year when everybody said Landon Dickerson was a luxury pick, and all of a sudden he's a starting uh, guard. And, you know, everybody was saying, how could you take Cam Jurgens? How could you take Cam Jurgens? Well, Jason is 34 years old, so... Um, Here's why you take Cam Jurgens. Yeah, I was one of the people who kind of questioned the pick, but my reasoning wasn't the position. It was generally Kelsey himself was a sixth or fifth or sixth round pick. I just thought in the second round that to take basically your heir apparent at that position was a little high. Yeah, I, I, I get it. But, I, I mean, there aren't too many six-round picks turning into Jason Kelsey. So, yeah, in, in the past there are um, – there have been centers that you can certainly get competent play uh, that are mid-round picks, but the Eagles value that position. A lot of the reason they value it is because what Jason Kelsey has turned into. But, you know, to assume you can replicate Jason Kelsey, you know, that's like saying, you know, Tom Brady was a six-round right. pick. You don't, yeah, yeah. you don't replicate it too often. That's fair. You're probably not going to get – another Jason Kelsey in the sixth round. Uh, you might get one in the second round or the first round. Well, when we're while we're on the, the topic of this offensive line, I mean, there, every publication, you know, that does rankings has this offensive line, you know, one, two, three, somewhere in the top five. How Just how deep is this offensive line? Like, if there was, you know, a couple of years ago, they got ravaged by injuries. I mean, if, if that would be the case, they lost two, three guys again this year. How, how deep is this line? Uh, it, it's pretty deep when you compare it uh, to to the rest of the league. So, you know, that's the context, and it's pretty deep. But you kind of saw it early here in camp. Um, you know, Jordan Mailata gets a concussion. Andre Pillard gets a concussion. Then all of a sudden you're down to the LaRaven Clark as your third team tackle. And by the way, he got a hamstring, and now he's out. And you're down to Coyote Awasika as your fourth-string tackle uh, trying to run practices. And, and that doesn't even count Brett Toth, who's on the pup list, who can also play left tackle, can also play center, by the way. Um, and he tore his ACL in week 18, uh, last season. Um, so it, it's kind of like you might say LaRaven Clark, if you want to go down the list to use LaRaven Clark, he might be the best third left tackle in football. But what does that really mean? If you got to play him, you're up, you know what, creek. Uh, so, it, there is good depth, but there's a big difference between, you know, Lane Johnson and Jack Driscoll. There's a big difference between Jason Kelsey and Camp Jurgens. There's a big difference between even Jordan Mailata and Andre Dillard. Um, so they have really good depth compared to everybody else, but you can't replace players like Lane Johnson and, and Jason Kelsey and Jordan Mailata and expect similar play so i think it's kind of a a layered question the depth is really good yeah but you know jack driscoll's an average player that that most teams don't have average players as backup offensive linemen um i mean you mentioned dillard uh, we just saw the injury in new york is I, I mean, I'm not going to say, hey, the Jets are calling the Eagles to try to get Dillard, but I guess the question would be, if there was a starting level left tackle around the league that went down, are the Eagles open to listening, or do they not want to move Dillard? You know, that's that's one. I I, I think right now they don't want to move him. Um, 
But, you know, maybe that changes at the deadline and, and you have to weigh these things. They know they're going to lose them after this season. So they, they, they didn't pick up the fifth year option. He's going to be a free agent. He's going to get a decent contract. Um, he's, he's not going to be here because he's not going to be the starting left tackle here. And he could be a starting left tackle somewhere else in the NFL. Um, so it is a tough decision. Right now, I think the Eagles think they're a contender. And they'd rather have the depth in case something happens to Jordan Mailata. I think a lot of people forget, you know, Jordan Jordan has had some back problems. Um, you know, he's a six foot eight, three hundred and eighty pound guy that they, you know, you, you gotta be cautious. Same thing with Lane Johnson. Look, Nick Nick Seriani called, you know, Lane Johnson the best right tackle in the world the other day. Um you know, he almost quit last year, and a big part of his battle with anxiety and depression was that his ankle was not doing well coming off that reconstructive surgery. He couldn't move very well, and he thought he couldn't play anymore. Um, so you have to be cautious from that standpoint. We're just talking about Jason Kelsey. He's played through so many injuries. You know, what does that do to your body? You know, he's... he. he as I said, you know, over at uh, si.com, um, we have a picture of Jason, just how he's, you know, braced up that elbow every day just to get through practice. And all of a sudden, you show up one hot day and, and boom, he's having surgery. So I, I think that they, they find the value in somebody like Andre Dillard right now more than what a, a trade would get them back. Now, if somebody got desperate and called up with a second-round pick, I think that might change the conversation. Um, if you just mentioned Johnson, I, I looked up the other day. He's played like 32 out of the last 49, so he's missed a considerable amount of games with injury, and you just touched on his injury. If he got hurt again, would they go to Mylotta to right tackle and Dillard to left, or did Mylotta stay at left and Driscoll play right tackle how would they how would they do that this particular time i around? think i you know we don't know till it happens but i think they want to keep jordan at left tackle this time uh and you know many of us thought there was going to be a competition at right guard uh between isaac sayamalo and jack driscoll hasn't turned out jack hasn't taken one rep that i've seen and i've been at every open practice at right guard He's taken all his reps at right tackle. That tells me they want him ready at right tackle uh, just in case if something happens to Lane Johnson. So uh, my guess if that were to happen this year, um, they would at at least at first try Mm -hmm. Jack Driscoll at right tackle, keep Jordan at left tackle. And if that didn't work, then they might, you know, because Stout's very big about getting – the best players on the field, then they might consider juggling. But he he generally, and I'm talking about Jeff Stoutland, he generally doesn't like to to move multiple parts yeah. if he doesn't have to. I know yesterday we we had talked about Samala. Essentially, there is no competition. But is Jurgens getting any work at right guard? I mean, they had mentioned that they can kind of cross train him, and that was part of the allure of well, he's more than just a center. We he he, he can play some guard. Um. 
he's taken a few snaps at guard. I, I'm more left guard than than right guard. Okay. Right guard's been mainly Sua Opeta as the backup uh, to Isaac Sayamalo. Uh, but you know they again. If you start talking, you know if Isaac gets hurt again, who's going to play right guard? Probably be Driscoll. I was going to uh, say at that point they would you, probably because you it kind of slipped my mind because you said Driscoll hasn't played any played there at all, but I guess that doesn't really mean anything. They yeah, like Jack Anderson, he, they, right? They know they know he can play there, yeah, and and he played very well there last year, so they would probably go in that direction. Um, Sua uh, Opeta is a player they like that people don't talk about. He can play both guard spots, and they think he's better at left guard than right guard. So there's a lot of moving parts. I, I don't think Cam Jurgens is going to play guard um, if, if somebody was going to get hurt. I think they think he's a natural center, um, and that's where he's going to play. It's just a matter of and 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 a lot. And Lane Johnson, by the way, said it a couple of weeks ago. Probably uh, didn't, you know. Probably let the cat out of the bag. He, he's told people this is going to be his last year. So, um, and Jason Kelsey, I'm talking about. So, you know, that's why they brought Cam Jurgens in, and he's he's the heir apparent at center. Right, yeah, we, we, I guess we figure, uh, that, and, and I guess instead of, you know, cause like Dickerson last year, there was some thought that he could be a center, but then, you know, they had injuries, and then he played so well at left guard, and then him and Mylotta next to each other, it was almost like, ah, maybe we'll just stick him at, keep him at guard. Was there ever any intention, do you think, to, that, that Dickerson was going to be the heir apparent at center, and then he just played so well at guard that they liked him and Mylotta together and decided to move in another direction? Yeah, it, that's exactly what happened. He was, he, and Jason Kelsey always jokes. He's had about eight heir apparents at this point in his <laughs> career. Uh, yeah, they were, they were taking Landon, uh, to be the center, uh, when J, in case Jason retired and, or moving on. And that's why, you know, if you go back, he suffered the ACL late in his final college season. So there were some injury concerns and the Eagles we're like, well, we'll wait for him. You know, he's not uh, – we don't expect him to play early on. And, and all of a sudden you have all the issues and Brooks is hurt again and Sayamalo gets hurt early in the season. And you got to play him. And he played really well. And I think a lot of people forget uh, Brandon got hurt before Isaac. So Landon was first at right guard. And then Isaac got hurt and they moved him to left guard. And yeah, they got to look at, uh, you know, 380 pounds and 330 pounds next to each other. And Howie Roseman said that this offseason. He said, we're not messing with that. That was, that was dominant. Good. And, and they're going to keep those guys together for as long as possible. Uh, John McMullen, Birds 365, 8 to 10 a.m. on the Jacob Media YouTube channel every morning, uh, talking Eagles. And, uh, you can check out his writing at Sports Illustrated, uh, SI.com. Um, you mentioned Reddick's name, uh, his name. I, mean, I forget even the context, but it just popped into my head. And we asked about AJ Brown. That was the big acquisition on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, what, kind of anticipation does this defense does reddick fit into this defense is he going to be a guy at the end of the year you're like man this guy was a perfect fit or are you kind of questioning the fit seeing him through camp so far 
No, I, I think he's a good bit. I, I think the, the bigger bit, though, I, I think the domino piece is Jordan Davis. I think he's the one that allows everything to fall into place. And we'll see how he shakes out because they didn't have a real natural nose tackle. Basically, they want to play uh, Vic Fangio's defense. So if anybody and, and you know, is there any question that Vic Fangio will be the next defensive coordinator? That guy's at practice every day. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Vic will have his uh, choice of jobs. He can go wherever he wants, basically. I mean, in the event uh, that John Gannon gets hired, I guess we should say. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I think Vic wants to be a head coach again. Uh, and we'll see how things shake out. So he's going to take this year off. And, um, and, and, and if he wants to come back and he wants to be a defensive coordinator, he'll, he'll have literally 10 job out. Everybody would want to hire him. Uh, over 50% of the league is planning to run his defense. Um, and the Eagles are one of them. And, you know, it's nice that they have him available to, to pick his brain and, um, but a key part of it is the odd man fronts and, and people get hung up on the 4-3 versus 3-4. Really plays a 5-2 overhang is what they call it, where you have – so it'll look like a five-man front. Um, you have the four-eye technique that you heard about last year that Fletcher Cox didn't like. So the Eagles were playing it last year. They just didn't have a nose tackle. Right. Um, well, and that's and the whole Fletcher Cox saying, they pay me to rush the passer. And yeah. Gannon was saying, I don't want you to rush the passer. I want you to do this. And that's what Davis will now do. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, Davis should not only, you saw him in college with N'Kobe Dean, like everybody watched N'Kobe Dean highlights, but watch when he's making plays, watch the big guy who's right in front of him, but almost all the highlights because he's taken up two or three blockers, allowing him to make plays. That's what he's going to do for the Eagles, in theory. And that should open one-on-ones for Josh Sweat and, and Hassan Reddick um, and, and the linebackers, just like he did for Dean uh, as far as them. So he he's the key piece to it all. But Reddick is the best pass rusher, best edge rusher they've had in a very, very long time. They haven't had a double-digit edge rusher since Connor Barwin, I think, in 2014. So it's been a long time. If he doesn't get to 10, I would say it's because he's not healthy. Uh, he can rush the passer. Mm -hmm. um, the question is, you know, how does he hold up at the run game? Because he's undersized. He's sort of a tweener. Um so that might be a little bit of a concern. But, no, you know, nobody cares about the run game until December, Mike. So we don't have to worry about that for a while. <laughs> uh, all right, John. Um, Pro Football Focus picked their most intriguing Eagles player. Who would be yours? Most intriguing Eagles player. You want me well, to tell you who their pick was or do you want to guess first? I'll guess. I think the most intriguing is Jordan Davis, but since I just mentioned him, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. For me, it's Marcus Epps because I think he's got a chance to be a good player, and I don't think people realize it. Um, See, I too. So that would be. For I me. too went with said uh, my picks were like Marcus Epps, 
uh, TJ Edwards, uh, Kaiser White, like the, 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 those type of guys where we just don't like Edwards is, you know, um, he's been here, but most people just anticipate that he's going to be replaced and he's like not so fast. White, who hasn't been here, is a linebacker with uh, athletic ability that no Eagles linebacker has had in quite some time. Epps, we keep hearing good things about, but don't really know. Uh, but Pro Football Focus went with Quez Watkins as the most uh, intriguing player. Uh, there you go, right? Well, you know, not not that Quez is a bad player. I don't mean it like that. You know, like, Quez had almost 700 yards receiving last year. Yeah, everybody, well, you know. That's like a 20-point score on a bad NBA team. <laughs> Somebody's got to be the second receiver. Um, I, I wouldn't be comfortable with Quez Watkins being the second receiver. So that was why the A.J. Brown um, trade was such a, a, a big domino. He's To me, A.J. Brown is the Jordan Davis of the offense because everything fits into place because you got A.J. Brown. Now, all of a sudden, Devontae Smith's probably not ready to be a one, but he's a great two. Quez Watkins is not a two, but he's a solid three. The problem with watching Eagles practice, the only guys who get targeted are, are A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard. So I asked Nick about that uh, at the Lincoln Financial field practice. I mean, the, the game has changed. I, I think there's this old, you know, sentiment that, Oh, you got to have these full field progressions, and you don't. Uh, the the uh, other than a few quarterbacks, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, and you know Matt Ryan's of the world. When they retire, you know you see how the college game is played. It's it's half field progressions. It's 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 basically two, uh, you know, A B two receivers, and for the Eagles, it's going to be. A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard, and that's what it's been in, in, in camp. They've gotten so much traffic. And then you start to think, of, I'm, I'm worried about Devontae Smith getting the ball more than, you know, Quez Watkins isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to see a ton of traffic um, from, from the way it looks right now. Um, and that's up to the coaching staff. So I, I can already envision people criticizing – Jalen Hurts, like they criticized Carson Wentz when he threw the football too much to Zach Hurts. I could already see that happening this year with AJ and Dallas. But I mean, it, it's Shane Steichen and Nick Sirianni that have to be disciplined and have to understand. All right, yeah, AJ's our best receiver. Dallas Goddard is is one of the best tight ends in football. Those are our top two options. But you got to be disciplined to get other people involved because. This isn't Joe Montana. You're not going from progression A on the right side of the field all the way to D on the left side of the field. That's not how the modern NFL works. Yeah. It just isn't. Hey, last one for Johnny Mac. Uh, John McMullen, all football season long, is back here on the Sports Batch. Who's more important to the offense, A.J. Brown or Goddard? <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good question, Mike. I think Goddard has slightly more targets than AJ. Um, you know, by the end of last season, I think Jalen became very comfortable with Dallas Goddard uh, and he became his top target over Devontae Smith. I, I think they're both really important. 
I, I'm going to go with EJ because I think he's more important to the offense as a whole because just of what I said, he allows the other receivers to fit into better spots. I remember when Jordy Nelson was an all-pro with the Packers and he tore his ACL. And all the Packers had, they always had that explosive passing offense. But when he got hurt, Randall Cobb at the time was a, a good number was a great slot receiver, and all of a sudden he had to become the number one guy. It just wasn't him. He couldn't do it. He couldn't see that. James Jones was a good uh, complimentary receiver, but then you kick him up a notch, wasn't as good. Everything falls into place when A.J. Brown's there. Right. Um, So he's that domino like Jordy Nelson was back in the day for the Packers. All right. uh, Tuesday... Uh, report on the birds as they get ready for Friday night against the Jets, and we'll have more on that tomorrow. Johnny Mack, tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. You can check out Birds 365 weekdays 8 to 10 with uh, Jody Mack and Johnny Mack. Is Jody in this week? Is he off? Uh, no, he, he, he was off today. He was at Eagles practice, gotcha. but he'll be back tomorrow and I'll be doing the show for the first half hour. Then I got to get down to practice. Jeff Kerr, your buddy, Jeff Kerr is filling, uh, filling in for me tomorrow. Very good. All right, John, we'll talk to you tomorrow, pal. All right. Thanks. Buddy. There's Johnny Mack here on the sports bash, 97.3 ESPN. Johnny Mack is back. He's got a lot of Eagles and, uh, you know, we bring him back for the football season here at three o'clock each day for you. All the ups, insight, and analysis on the Eagles. We still have football at four with Adam Kaplan today. Uh, John Gannon spoke earlier. We'll talk to Adam about Jason Kelsey, Cam Jurgens, uh, some of the other injuries. Gainwell, Austin Scott. Who's the backup running back if both those guys are out? Devonta Smith, John Hightower, Greg Ward. All wide receivers banged up right now. What about the backup tight end situation? get into that plus the safety spot Jaquaski Tart was out for personal reasons today uh, who are some of the camp standouts to Adam Kaplan on both offense and defense we'll give you a couple of names on both sides of the ball that's today's football at four I have another winning name and I'm going to announce it on the other side so I'll give you a chance to go to 97.3 ESPN.com right now and enter to win a road trip to see the Eagles in Washington against the Commanders All you have to do is enter once, and if I call your name on the Sports Bash coming up next, you have a shot to go see the Eagles and Commanders in Washington thanks to Philly Sports Trips. We're going to be live on August 26th over at Garden State Brewery in Absecon. We're going to invite all our qualifiers out there. We're one lucky winner is going to see Philly in Washington against the Commanders. That's coming up next here on the Sports Bash. Plus, I got the Phillies lineup for tonight in Miami. Don't go away. Now, back to the SPN. I got another qualifying name. It goes a little something like this. It's David Brace. David Brace. You're out there, David. Give us a buzz. 609-573-3776. David Brace is qualified for a chance to win an Eagles road trip to Washington. We're going to be giving away tickets to see the Eagles play in Washington against the Commanders. The Sports Bash is giving away one lucky listener and a friend a chance to see the Eagles play in Washington at FedEx Field on Sunday, September 25th. To enter, 
Go to our website, 973ESPN.com. Listen for your name right here on the Sports Bash each day. I might call out more than one name an hour. So you got to keep listening if I didn't call yours. If I call your name, you're entered to win the trip. Thanks to our friends at Philly Sports Trips and Garden State Brewery in Epsecon. You must be present to win at Garden State Brewery, 247 Whitehorse Pike on Friday, August the 26th. One lucky listener will win a bus trip to Washington to see Carson Wentz and the Commanders host the Eagles. Food that day will be provided from our friends at Ernest & Sons Meat Market Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. Go to our website right now to enter. I'll have another name maybe this hour. Definitely in the 4 o'clock hour. Do it now! And join David Brace and Joseph Carson, who we called out in hour number one. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Philly's lineup is out today. It's a uh, kind of an interesting lineup. A little couple, uh, couple tweaks, if you will, a couple changes to the lineup uh, for the Phils today. Uh, Josh, I got uh, Schwarber leading off left field. Hoskins at first. Bohm at third. Real Muto catching. Castellanos is the DH. Segura is at second base. Veerling is uh, in right field today. Sosa is at short. And Marsh is in center field. There's no Hall in the lineup. Must be a lefty throwing today. I was going to say there's no Stott either. So No Stott at short because he's a lefty. So you got the lefties out of the lineup. The only lefty that's in the lineup that I see, well, Schwarber and Marsh. So the one problem with Marsh lefty is he hits in the nine hole. That means you've got back-to-back lefties. And when Stott's in the lineup, you go back-to-back-to-back lefties. And that's a little bit of an issue. You got that Braxton Garrett, the lefty going for the Marlins, a three eighty-eight ERA on this season. Yeah, Wheeler's going for the Phils tonight. And... Alcantara, uh, Alcantara is going Alcantara. is going tomorrow for the Marlins. You would have liked to see a little Wheeler. I would have liked to see a little Wheeler Alcantara, but tomorrow. you know, you know, I, I only I knew specifically that Sandy was going tomorrow night because you went Sandy. Well, look, <laughs> if you go, I like by, what you did there. You went Sandy. Well, look, we're getting to the point now where even though. Baseball reference, MLB's website, the Phillies, they all say that the name is pronounced Alcantara. There are people who still are not pronouncing it that way. So you know what? I'm just going to call him Sandy because that's the only thing anybody can agree on. The guy's a Cy Young Award candidate, and he's getting first name recognition. Shouldn't that be the way it is? I mean, it should be. <laughs> or, on the flip side, shouldn't we definitively have a pronunciation for this guy? Well, we should have a pronunciation. But, you know, the world we live in today is you got people on major television shows who are even there argue about it. Like, I'm watching MLB Central the other day. And the one, the, the one guy says Alcantara. And immediately the host of the show interrupts. He says Alcantara. All right, like, let's God let's great. play this real quick. Let's see if the I don't know that the announcer says anything here, but this was a video from his last start. Let's see if we get the announcer saying his name. Sandy's 0-1, Novato. Ground ball, first base. Lewin's got it. He'll take it himself. It's a Marlins win. Sandy's 0- He went Sandy. Sandy. He went Sandy. He didn't go. 
Come on. He didn't give you the... Uh, he didn't even try the last And season. that was the Marlins' hometown broadcast. I mean, if the hometown broadcast can't even do it, good grief. Right? We're all doomed. <laughs> there's there's no... Uh, there's no getting this. Now, I, 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 you know, he's pitching tomorrow. Um, who's pitching for the Phils tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow, pull that up. That's easy. It's a lot easier than figuring out how to say the guy's name. Alcantara. Alcantara. Whatever. <laughs> uh, tomorrow, you got Syndergaard. Okay, so it's Syndergaard tomorrow. That must mean Gibson's going on Tuesday. Um, Gibson's going on Thursday. Thursday, yeah. yes. So you got Wheeler Syndergaard. Okay, there it is. Wheeler Syndergaard Gibson. That means for the Mets series, you're going to get Suarez, Nola, Wheeler. Syndergaard's going to miss the Mets by a game. That Friday night games on Apple TV Plus. Damn it. I mean, come on. <laughs> I think that's the last. Is that the last one? That's supposed to be the last one for the Phillies, yes. God, that drives my gears right i mean can you i'll, I'll take uh i'll take amazon prime game i'll take the freaking peacock game uh, the apple tv plus though i just can't i can't i gotta watch in my bedroom and that stinks uh, it really does grind your gears it's uh, it's kind of funny honestly. so you got wheeler garrett tonight syndergaard alcantara, to alcantara tomorrow and gibson cabrera so i mean that there's a possibility that you lose two out of three with those matchups. I mean, because Gibson almost threw a perfect game the last time he pitched, asking him to come back with another, you know. Another miracle? Well, I mean, he's generally inconsistent. That's the problem. So he throws a great game. You would imagine the next one here is the stinker. You would assume. I think part of the thing also is that. Well, and by the way, he's facing Edward Cabrera, who's really good. Well, that's the other part of this. You know. One could argue that the Marlins are sending three pitchers who are all quality pitchers. The problem is the Phillies have beaten Sandy Alcantara twice this year. Yeah, but that's the thing. They've beaten them twice. And both games were, I think the last time they faced them was like a 3-1 game, right? Well, they basically had to wait them out. It was ridiculous. It was like they were literally just hanging on, hanging on, That was the game on. right before the All- Gibson beat them 2-1 to that night. Yeah, that was the game on Friday night, and then they beat the Marlins ten nothing and four nothing. They gave out one run in that series. Mm-hmm. Now the Phillies pitching was Gibson, Suarez, and Nola. This time you're going to get three, uh, two different guys. Gibson shut them down the last, and that's why I'm a little concerned with Gibson pitching in the last game. Now the Phillies have beaten them, what one, two, three, four, five out of the last six, and let's go. I think the Marlins beat them three think out of four. Think about what you just said. The Phillies are actually beating the Marlins. Well, the Marlins beat them three out of four the, the time before that. So there is uh, they are starting to turn the corner a little bit against the Marlins. But guess what? That's all fine and dandy. See, those wins have put you in position where you are now. To finish the job, though... You have to keep beating them. Right. That's the difference. To to finish the job and make the playoffs, you can't 
have beaten the Marlins five out of six and then all of a sudden get to this stage of the season and have them, because they beat you three out of four earlier in the year. You can't have that happen right now. No, you you have to go out there and keep beating them. You got you to take the hope out of their sails. All right, let me uh, see what this guy says here. Now, I have no idea if they're even announcing him here, but let me let me see, okay? <laughs> Which leads baseball. <laughs> Here's a look at his night at first inning. Remember, he had the bases loaded in the first inning and had to wiggle out of it, but then manages to get the whole night through the whole game. 105 pitches, scoreless baseball, Sandy at his best again. Well, he really settled down, and it was all mechanics, and I'm sure Mel Stoudemire Jr. talked to him after the first inning. You saw a lot better of the balance staying back. You know, he was able to get on top of the changeup. He was a little quick, maybe a little antsy, a little amped up in that first inning. Outstanding job. He was terrific tonight, and he's downstairs with Jessica Blaylock. You got nothing. You got another Sandy. And him, he, him, he, his. Like, I mean, those broadcasters refuse to say his last name. I'm going to find one in the break here. I will find one. This is actually getting ridiculous. Clean this up. I know there's somebody out there listening who's, like, screaming. Well, of course they are. But I'm not saying that it's, there is a right way. But my point is, is the point is, Baseball Reference has it phonetically spelled one way. Right. If you listen to one broadcast, they say it one way. Right. Then, the, like on say Baseball Another Tonight, channel. they right. might reference him differently. No, you're 100 on Baseball Tonight on ESPN. They have said Alcantara. On MLB Network, they say Alcantara. Yeah, I think McCarthy called him Alcantara. He did, and Ruben Amaro Jr. called him Alcantara. <laughs> so you have two guys on the same broadcast saying. I heard yeah, I want to hear what, Jr. say I, this morning. I want to hear what the Marlins guys call him. That, that's where we really need to get down to it. Uh, what did Kurt Schilling say? Is really Kurt Schilling the voice of reason? That's next. Now, back to the Sports Bash. ESPN. All right, 349. Hey, congratulations to our latest qualifier, David Brace. He heard his name. He's in. To another name next hour here on the Sports Bash Live. You can win a trip to go see the Eagles play in Washington against the Commanders. Just go to our website, 973ESPN.com. Get your game on at the Gallery Bar Book and Games in Ocean Casino Resort this football season. Cheers your favorite drinks while cheering on your favorite team. Go to the Gallery in Ocean Casino Resort and go for the win. For more information, visit OceanAC.com. You must be 21 or older to play a gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're there every Monday. Join us this Monday, next Monday, or this coming Monday, I guess you should say. And uh, we'll recap the Eagles and Jets and the Phillies weekend against the Metropolitans. That's all this Monday over at the Gallery Bar Book and Games. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. 609-403-0973. Uh, Kurt Schilling tweeted today regarding the Pete Rose weekend. I'll have that in a second, but I think we have. Now, this is the Marlins broadcast. All right? This is what I got. This is what you're used to seeing out of Sandy Alcantara. Sandy Alcantara. Alcantara. 
So why have we been arguing about how to say the guy's name? Well, because some people have said Alcantara. Because the pronunciation guides online. Okay. So all the pronunciation guides are wrong. Now, you would think someone in the Marlins organization would have said, this guy has a chance to win Cy Young, right? Let's put it out there and make sure everyone knows how to say his name. You would think so. Well, how about the Reds manager? I don't know if he mentions his name here, but he did compliment Sandy Alcantara. I don't know if he said his name, though. I'm interested to see. When you miss an opportunity like that against a guy like Alcantara, it could turn into a long night. Could it That's not? the reporter. Yeah, that guy's he's really special. He- so the reporter said Alcantara. I think it's ridiculous we've had to do this much investigative work. <laughs> well, he's pitching tomorrow. Okay, I mean, we, we, we might as well work for, like, you know, HBO Real Sports here or something. Well, you just said it. The guy's a Cy Young candidate. Baseball should have him out there. They should. They barely talked about him in the All-Star Game broadcast, by the way. Yeah. Barely got talked about. Cool. Well, I hope he doesn't win tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he wins the Cy Young, but he doesn't win tomorrow. How about that? Uh, The Pete Rose mess put a dark cloud over what was a great run, or what is a great run by this Phillies current day team. Um, They swept the hapless Nationals. They beat them 13-1. to in the series finale yesterday, or Sunday, I guess it was. Sunday. However, most of the discussion centered around Rose and his comments made to reporters during the end, uh, his comments on the TV broadcast uh, that was carried on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Rose was asked by Philadelphia Inquirer Phillies beat reporter Alex Coffey about his presence at the game and if it sent a negative message to women, to which Pete basically said, no, I'm not here to talk about that. Sorry about that. It was 55 years ago, babe. Kurt Schilling jumped into the conversation today. Now, who knew that Schilling would be the voice of reason here? Schilling, who's had his own issues uh, along the way, he got himself fired from ESPN, namely, and other places for some of the things that he has uttered. He tweeted this. I say this as someone who knows him, Pete Rose, who he treated kindly. But the things he says and his lack of self-awareness are unreal. Hall of Fame talent, absolutely. But just a bad, bad guy with literally zero morals or scruples and not one ounce of couth. I think Kurt Schilling pretty much hit the nail on the head there. That is exactly what I think everybody who has discussed the weekend has tried to kind of get out there is the lack of awareness, the lack of morals. That is the word, the couth that Schilling describes. Look, Schilling has had his own issues, and other people now are chiming in like, oh, well, hasn't Kurt Schilling got himself in trouble by things that he has said? Yes, but that's the point, is a guy who himself lacks awareness sometimes, has enough awareness to say, this guy has treated me well, but even with that, I can't defend what this guy did this weekend. The other thing with Schilling is, and this is where the differentiation is for me, Mike, Kurt Schilling has never been accused of cheating the game, right? He was never he never bet on the game. He was never accused of gambling on the game, while in the game. He was never accused of having an inappropriate relationship with a minor. He was never accused of any of the things that Rose has been either 
found guilty of or accused of. So this idea that that uh, Schilling's moral meter is really that twisted, I think, is a little subjective, is it not? Well, I think so. And 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 the big part is that even a guy like Schilling has recognized that. Right here's Schilling basically saying, "I like Pete. He's been very nice to me, but my gosh, he lacks awareness. My gosh, he lacks a lot morals. <laughs> He's lacking." Period. Uh, on the other side, football at four. Adam Kaplan camp standouts. Who on offense has jumped off the page? Who on defense is standing out? We have that on the other side with Adam Kaplan from Inside the Birds. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash, and yes, I have another name I'm going to announce in the next hour. But I'm going to give you a chance to go to our website, 97.3ESPN.com, right now and enter. So I can call your name next hour. And if I call your name, you are entered for a chance to win a pair of tickets and a bus trip to the Eagles-Washington Commanders game in FedEx Field on September the 25th. You'll be there, but you got to enter now at 97.3ESPN.com. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. I have real confidence that our football operations uh, can once again create a dominant football team. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Podcast, and it is brought to you by the Gallery Bar Book and Games at Ocean Casino Resort. Cheer on your favorite drinks while cheering on your favorite team. Go to the Gallery in Ocean Casino Resort and go for the win. For more information, visit OceanAC.com. You must be 21 or older to play a gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. Real quick, according to NFL reporter Matt Lombardo, our old buddy Matt Lombardo, uh, who's covering the NFL for Heavy.com, the Denver Broncos have shown interest in Jalen Rager uh, since Tim Patrick uh, tore his ACL. Uh, so they're looking for some receiver help out there. We'll get some updates on the injury situation in Philadelphia because uh, today – uh, we found out that Jalen, not Jalen, uh, Jason Kelsey uh, has get, is getting surgery today. The team is optimistic he'll be able to play against the Lions in the first regular season game. I, although I wouldn't be surprised. You know, somebody that I talked to said this is about a four to six week injury. Well, we're about four and a half weeks to the start of the season. So you wonder... Hey, we're playing the Lions. Not that, like, hey, we could beat the Lions. I mean, it's the first week of the season. You have no idea what these teams are going to look like. Although, the Lions will be on uh, Hard Knocks. Does that start tonight? The Hard Knocks uh, series, is that tonight? Hard Knocks starts tonight. And uh, the Lions are the team that's on the Hard Knocks, right? Yep. Oh. I've been, I've been the, the leaked out clips. I've already been uh, getting me a little juiced up and excited for it. That's an HBO show, though, so I can't watch it. I, mean, I, I haven't know. seen Hard Knocks in a couple of years, though. I watch it every year. I, I like, like it. A... It's not that I don't. I just I haven't had HBO, and I don't know. I I think I tried to watch one of the seasons, and I was like, eh, it didn't draw me in. Well, the Chargers Rams that season one. that was lame. That was really because they what they were trying to do was they'd be like, 
Oh, COVID protocols with both L.A. teams. Ah, it was horrible. Yeah, it's it so boring. I think I maybe who was the one before that? There was the Browns were on one year. The Browns were a few years. That was Hugh Jackson and the Browns. Yeah, I think that's the last time I saw like the whole thing. The Browns was there. Uh, was Dallas on recently? Yeah, they were uh, last year. Okay, I think I watched like an episode of Dallas, and then I was kind of out. So uh, we'll get Adam. Ka- I think Adam was Adam down in Tampa for his tour. Uh, he's on his tour. Yeah, I was. Uh, I haven't got a chance to ask him where he's at though. I thought he was in Tampa the last I 2019 saw. Twenty nineteen was the Raiders. That's the one I forgot. Now. I don't think I saw that one, the Raider one. The Raider one was actually interesting because that was the one where we got all those random clips from John Gruden. I'm trying to remember. That was the year they had Antonio Brown for like six days. Yeah. Oh, yeah, with the feet. All the the, the frozen feet problem, right? Yep. Uh, JT Robuto, by the way, is uh, going to be representing the United States in the World Baseball Classic. I don't know if I like that. I mean, it's nice that he's representing the country. It just, you know, here's a guy who's already. And by the way, I got to throw this out there about Real Muto. He has been on a tear recently. I mean, this guy has put up some unbelievable numbers really since the All Star break. He has really started to turn the corner. You know, he people were talking. Ah, he's not having a great year and slowing down. But I don't need any more tread on the tires if I can avoid him playing extra games in the off season. That's all. I mean, is there a way you can mandate a guy not to do it? I'm sure the team can suggest that he doesn't play, but he's that's not going to happen here. It's already out there. MLB official Twitter account 43 minutes ago, JT Realmuto is all in to be Team USA's backstop. Hashtag World Baseball Classic. Now, when is the World Baseball Classic? I believe it's next year, isn't it? Is it? Because normally they do it in like during the spring training portion of the season, right? I didn't know if they were going to do it like in the fall. I think doing it in the fall might actually be more interesting. Like after the World Series is over. And then you have the World Baseball Classic. And then you have the off. Like they're doing it in spring training when people are like all over the place. You know? Now, I'm, I'm on the World Baseball Classic website. The qualifiers are set to take place September 16th through the 21st and September 30th through the 5th. Wait, so in September, they're having qualifiers? How are they even going to do that? Like, how does that even make sense? I mean, you, you have guys in the middle of their seasons. Right. That doesn't seem to be accurate. This is MLB.com's website. I'm trying to get a little more information here. Uh, but... Speaking of uh, Phillies, by the way, some news coming out on Bryce Harper. The Phillies are cutting back on Harper's throwing program. He's experiencing some stiffness in his elbow. Uh, Rob Thompson said he does expect Harper to eventually come back, but it sounds like he's going to be sticking more to just DHing. So uh, any thoughts that he might go back to the outfield seems like uh, that's out the window. That's disappointing. By the way, pool play begins March 8th, 2023. So right in spring training. Now, how do you feel about being in spring training, though? I mean, now you're taking Well, that's when it's normally been. Right. But like you said, it could be like November. I would prefer... uh, I mean, it would be kind of cool, actually, if those games were like after the World Series on weeknights. 
you know, when there's no football. Right. Like Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, you had World Baseball Classic games. Right? Yeah. Might be something. By Instead, way, you're he- doing it in spring training, and then you're taking some of the players from the spring training campsites and, you know. Now, a lot of the field has already been determined uh, because the United States won the last World Baseball Classic, so they do not have to be involved in any qualifiers. Yeah, but what about the other qualifying teams? Uh, they have C- players that play in the majors on them, right? The Pool C, which are all countries that are already uh, qualified except for one. Canada, Mexico, Colombia, United States are all in Pool C. There will be one qualifier that will come from the September games. Puerto Rico will play in Pool D with uh, Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Israel, and then another qualifying team. So apparently, WBC is expanding to 20 teams wow. for this year, and that's why there are be to be determined qualifiers for the pools. So there will be a qualifier, four qualifiers coming out of this. One for Pool A, Pool B, uh, Pool C, Pool D. Gotcha. Well, I mean, I would imagine that a handful of all of 20 teams, maybe not Israel, um, maybe not, I don't know what countries are in there, have major leaguers on the team, though, right? I mean, I don't know. All right, uh, we'll get Adam Kaplan here to uh, get you a little football at four, ready to go here on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. And don't forget, uh, you can enter to win a trip to go see the Eagles play in Washington. If you haven't entered, go to 97.3ESPN.com right now, and I'll call out another name right after football at four today on the Sports Bash. So we'll get Adam here in just a second. Um, I think he's, um, I thought he was in Tampa the last I saw his spring training uh, tour was uh, down in at, in Tampa with the with the Buccaneers. So we'll, uh, we'll check in uh, what he's hearing from Eagles camp. Though I know this weekend Adam was back in town and then he took off and got to uh, check in on a couple of different teams. And, uh, you know, one thing that, is something to keep an eye on, as we mentioned, is Kelsey had the elbow surgery today. The team's optimistic that he'll be able to get that regular season uh, start against the Lions. But if not, you know, they did draft Cam Jurgens in the second round, and all reports on him have been that he has looked really good. And we talked about this yesterday a little bit. That video with uh, Jordan Davis in it, it has Jurgens just getting pushed around like a small child but from all accounts, Jurgens has held up very well in training camp so far. And that if Kelsey can't go, you'll get your first chance to see the rookie second-round pick, Cam Jurgens, who will fill in as the backup center. Uh, they also have Jack Anderson as a guy that I guess could play that spot, uh, the backup center spot, if Jurgens wasn't ready. Because I guess with Kelsey out now, Jurgens will get most of the first-team reps. If they see, hey, this guy just can't handle himself, they do have some options. Jack Anderson would be one. I guess if Kelsey was out for a long period of time and Jurgens was not um, available, that you could go with, say, Amala, and then, you know, you can have Jack Driscoll or Suopeta. You know, you have a myriad of other options there. And then I want to get Adam's take on the running back situation. Gainwell is on the injury um, list today. Boston Scott's been out. They don't really have a whole heck of a lot of 
running backs at their disposal. Then you have Devonta Smith hurt, John Hightower hurt, Greg Ward hurt. That's a couple of wide receivers that are out all of a sudden. And then the backup's tight end, Greg Calcaterra, he's been battling a left hamstring. So uh, injuries have kind of been a storyline at Eagle Camp. They did get Jordan Mailata and Andre Dillard back today. Plus, um, Javon Hargrave had been out with a groin injury. He's back today. So we'll go through all the injury uh, situations because the Eagles, by the way, do play Friday night in a game that you can hear right here on 97.3 ESPN. And then the last thing I want to kind of get from Adam is he was at uh, Eagles camp and he's been talking to people who are there daily. Are Who are some of the camp standouts for him so far on the offensive side of the ball and on the defensive side of the ball? Who are a couple of names of players who have really kind of stood out so far in this camp? We asked Jeff Mosher his thoughts on that yesterday during football four. And we'll ask uh, Adam that uh, today. And, you know, there's a name that keeps popping up, and I'm kind of intrigued to hear Adam's take on this guy. So uh, once we punch him in, I want to get his take on that. And then I asked everybody, and I'll ask you guys out there to text in, 609-403-0973. Which Eagles player is the most intriguing player for you this season? Which guy are you most intrigued by this season? Send me a text, 609-403-0973. Pro Football Focus picked one guy from each team. And I thought the guy they picked from the Eagles would not, he would not be my pick. Let's just say that. I had multiple guys that I would put ahead of him before I got to him. So who is your most intriguing Eagles player this season. And I can make a case for a bunch of guys. The guy they went with, I can make a case for, but not the best case. Like, for instance, for me, most of the more intriguing players come on the defensive side of the ball. Marcus Epps, TJ Edwards, Kaiser White. Those are some of the guys that intrigue me. Kenny Gainwell, uh, and even higher profile players like Dallas Goddard. Those guys are all higher on the list than the guy they went with. So go to our website to check that out. All right, Football at Four, Adam Kaplan from InsideTheBirds.com and the Inside the Birds podcast. Injuries at camp today, and a big one Adam Kaplan will start off with first as Jason Kelsey uh, with surgery on his injured elbow today. And it looks like uh, I would imagine there's a possibility that he doesn't make it uh, for the regular season, although the team is optimistic, but four to six weeks is what that injury typically would be. So, Jason Kelsey, elbow surgery today. Yeah, so he's going to look, he's going to push it. You know, if, the, if he could play, he'll play. They're not going to know for sure until closer to the, that week, first week at the Lions. You know, they leave that Saturday. He's going to have to show that he could snap and, and, and do everything he needed to do with that elbow. Uh, so, yeah, this came kind of out of the blue. We didn't know about this. He'd been dealing with soreness and some pain uh, in that, that elbow for a while, and it just they felt like, and he did, why go through this? Because you know Kelsey. He's played with a broken toe before. He's played with various injuries, and he had a hyperextended elbow a couple years ago and played through it, but this one they got cleaned up. And you know, now we're going to see Cam Jurgens, Mike. I mean, they're, they're deaf now. It's tested at center. Uh, they've got Jack Anderson. Uh, who could play center or guard. 
uh, Cameron Tom, who's more of a center, uh, who is sort of a journeyman with the Dolphins and the Saints who they brought in here for training camp. Those guys will get snaps uh, in uh, this this uh, this game this week against the Jets. But uh, you know, Cam Jurgensen now, who's by the way had a very good training camp. He's a little bit ahead of schedule, from what we're told. They're going to get a good look at him now. Yeah, Jurgens was the second round pick from Nebraska. That uh, I guess Kelsey kind of endorsed that pick there. Now you're going to get a chance to kind of see him. And I would wonder because Friday night is the exhibition or preseason opener, Adam. And you know we ask all the time, like ah, who's going to play, who's not going to play. I would imagine Jurgens will now play in that game. He probably would have anyway, but might have to play a little bit more. Actually, you know they won't. They haven't committed yet what their plan is uh, for who's going to play. Because think about it this way, though. There's another way to look at this. Let's say. Yeah, they're optimistic. They feel that, that Kelsey will play. But what if he can't play week one against the Lions? Well, Cam Jurgens is your starter. Do you really want to take a risk of him playing this week? Because the starters uh, typically now, because this, the schedule now goes from four to three. And don't forget, uh, with the, I was with the Bucks today, and they kind of said the same thing. With, two pre, with three preseason games, yes, but you've got – they like the Eagles. The Bucks Mike, have, um, you know, in Tampa, they've got two sets of, of practices here, joint practices with the Dolphins, and they, they also are going to practice against the Titans. Those are like what they call mini-games. So why would you take the risk on playing veterans, right? Why do you take the risk on, on playing starters as well? So I don't you – know, you would think that Jurgens will play because he needs the reps. But the question is, if he does play, how much he'll play? Because he could have to be the starter week when you can't rule that out right now. Yeah, uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. Kelsey, elbow surgery, team's optimistic he'll be able to play. Look for Jurgens uh, to probably uh, be the guy until Kelsey is ready to go. Then we've got a laundry list of guys who did not practice today, and you wonder if there was a game this Sunday, uh, how many of these guys uh, would be ready to go? And how many of these guys are you know, on the fence of making the team. you got Gainwell, Boston Scott, Devonta Smith we know will make the team, Hightower, Ward, LaRaven Clark, Greg Calcaterra, uh, Calcaterra, Jimmy Moreland, Joukowsky Tart was out for personal reasons. So there's some interesting names that are kind of fighting for jobs there. Yeah, well, Gainwell's new with a hip injury, so you got to watch that and, and see how long he's going to be out. Scott's going to be out a bit. He got, he got hit by Marcus Epps last week. I was, I think I was there for that one. Uh, um, he got, he got popped, uh, on his helmet. So that, that was a pretty, uh, it's unfortunate, but he got hit there. So he's going to miss some time. Devontae Smith now has been out for a while with a groin injury. The, the injury to Hightower is new. And he's the guy that's unlikely to make the team anyway. He's the guy that was on the practice last year. Uh, he's, he's made some plays at camp. Greg Ward's been out a while with his toe injury. He's, as you said, he's fighting for a roster spot. It, it, to me, it's more of a long shot, and we'll explain in a couple minutes why. And Raven Clark, you know, he, remember now, he was the third-string left tackle. He also could play right tackle. Uh, he's missed a couple of practice here with the hamstring. Uh, Grant Calcaterra, it's unfortunate. We're told it's a left hamstring injury. We're also told it's a two- to three-week recovery here, so he's most likely going to miss all the preseason. And It's a shame he got up to a great start, and he gives them some of barely needed athleticism behind Dallas Goddard, a tight end, and unfortunately now, Mike, uh, you know, he's down now for a bit, and that's that's certainly disappointing. And Jimmy Moreland, we're told it's a slight ankle injury, uh, as we noted on our show that dropped yesterday. And Jaquaski Tartanow's missed, what, three practices with a personal issue. We don't know what that is. Uh, Tyree Jackson with the right ACL uh, rehab, I'm told it's going real well. Uh, you know, we'll see if he could he could get off the PUP list in practice. By the end of August, Brett Toth remains out with the ACL. He's come back and tried to rehab that. And the good thing, the good news, though, Mike, with the injuries, 
Jordan Mailata and Andre Dillard, we alluded to this on yesterday's, show, uh, yesterday's uh, Inside the Bird show that they're going to be back soon. Mailata was closer than Dillard, and they both worked today limited. There were only certain things they were allowed to do. And uh, also Javon Hargrave returned uh, from missing briefly uh, with, with a groin injury, so that's good. But uh, And we'll talk more Friday about uh, what, what the game plan is uh, with the first preseason game in terms of timing. But as we know, Mike, now, because we don't have that fourth preseason game, teams look at the first preseason game differently. Some teams will use some starters for a quarter or for a series or two, and some will not play. That's just the way it is, but it's, it's changed a little bit since we used to have four preseason games. Yeah, this is uh, the first uh, year with the three, so we'll see how some of these teams down on the Eagles, uh, from what I recall, barely used anybody in any of the games last year, right? Yeah. Uh, in fact, if you remember, Miles Sanders, the, the, the story with Miles Sanders last summer is, is he didn't take a ton of practice reps, didn't get a lot of work in the preseason. Uh, now, remember, with Boston Scott out and Kenny Gamble with a hip, they only have five running backs in camp, so... <laughs> You could see, like, Kennedy Brooks, you could see him getting a lot of time here uh, in, tra- in, in this uh, preseason game. We haven't really heard his name at all. We've not heard much about him. But, yeah, they're down at, at the running back position, so this is kind of this is kind of tough for them right now with, with a light roster at that position. Yeah, by the way, he is a undrafted uh, rookie free agent out of Oklahoma, for those of you who are wondering, who the heck is Kennedy yes. Brooks? There you go. Uh, all right, Adam, uh, we're about, uh, you know, halfway, pretty much mid-season or mid-camp here. It's the last week uh, the, the preseason games begin. Who are some of the standouts uh, from these two weeks? Yeah, so we're going to give, you know, we, we – went over about 50 players or so on our show that hit yesterday, but we'll give you a couple nuggets here. One of the biggest surprises, because we we didn't think they'd keep three quarterbacks on the 53, and that probably will still be the case, but you never know. Reed Sinet's been a surprise. He, boy, he's got a good arm. His arm is stronger uh, than uh, Gardner Minshew. He's got very good size at six foot four. Remember, he's a guy who was with the, the Bucks two years ago with the Dolphins, and uh, they've taken a pretty good look at him. He, he's a guy that will play extensively in the preseason. They're going to get a good look at him. At the very least, Mike, if he does well in training camp, he's a guy you could see on the practice squad because they're definitely going to have three, whether it's two on the 53 and one on the practice squad or three on the on the 53. They're going to have three quarterbacks at least uh, on their on the roster and practice roster of the season to, to work with. So he's a guy to keep a, got to keep a look at uh, here when you watch the games in the preseason. And then, of course, the big names are A.J. Brown. It's just been phenomenal. He's as been advertised you would think he'd be great because he's a terrific football player he has he's dominated he's gotten the better of uh darius slay um he's just he's so strong physically we've not seen a receiver like this since terrell owens on the outside he's been great uh, one of the unheralded guys is Deion kane was nick who was with nick sirianni for a couple of years with indy uh but you know he blew his knee out in their otas in 2018 as a rookie and he was never the same but he's worked all the way back and he's had a good camp I don't think he'll make it, but the fact of the matter is here's a guy that knows this offense, knows these coaches, and certainly could be on the practice squad this season. Uh, the, a guy that we predicted had a very good chance to be their punt returner back in OTAs, and it's still it's still absolutely the case. Uh, right now, Britton Covey is the undrafted free agent of Utah, uh, who's the leader of the pack for the punt return job and, is, and gets some time as a slot receiver. He's got a real chance. And here's another thing. Will they keep five or six receivers, Mike? They're definitely going to keep five. The question is, will they keep six? And a lot of that has to do whether they trade Jalen Rager or not. So that's something we'll be keeping an eye on over the next week or so. Yep. And then def- Anybody, defense. 
Yeah, Real quick on Rieger, any anybody have any interest in him at all? Yes, well, yeah, we've reported this uh, you know, throughout. We we talked uh, you know on our show a couple months back. Baltimore looked into it, no offer, uh, they had mild interest. We were told then, yeah, there there are a bunch of teams that are, that we know this that are that are looking for receivers. Other teams that are down in depth at receivers, so we could see something move on this uh, sooner rather than later. Um, we, we were told, we first reported before the draft, he won't be cut. I know some people think he's going to be on the roster this season. I just don't see it. Uh, I, I can't imagine there wouldn't be enough interest on this kid. I understand he hasn't, he hasn't done much in the first two years, but he's talented. He could be a punt returner. Simply, it's just not worked here. But if he's on the roster this season, Mike, I just don't know what his role would be because there's not a lot of uh, you don't get a lot of reps if you're a fifth receiver, which is pretty much now... Uh, what he's going to be with Zach Pascal back and he's practicing, come back from the food poisoning, Mike. I just don't see a role right now for Jalen Rager, and he'd be better off somewhere else. Yeah. All right. Uh, defense, uh, give us a couple standouts you're hearing on that side of the ball. Boy, Josh Sweat has had a great camp. His best as an Eagle in his fifth year. You know, he signed the extension last year. He's been great. He'll be a stand up pass rusher or play with his hand down. He's just taken this game to another level. Uh, great story development. It's been one of Howie Roseman's best draft picks over the last five years. He's just been terrific maybe the best and i don't want to say it's surprising but i have a theory on this one tj edwards has had a great camp you know it could be mike that maybe with nicobe dean drafted you know, a lot of people thought like us that he would that dean would take edwards job but edwards is saying not so fast as a matter of fact he might be in one of their nickel linebackers i didn't think he had a prayer to do it but he's been so good in coverage that he might be, he might play a lot more than we thought. He might not just be a rundown guy, so or or, get, or play a lot when they're going against a team that's going to run a lot, like the Titans. So just keep an eye on that. But he's had a great, great camp. I'm 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 kind of surprised, you to be honest with you. He's never been great in that, but he's been a great story uh, in coverage. All right, uh, Adam Kaplan, uh, of course, the Inside the Birds podcast. They went uh, through basically every single player uh, at training camp so far. So check that out. It's a good uh, good listen for uh, all your Eagles. Uh, leading up to the preseason game. I, I will leave you with this. Um, not that there's any information or anything, but, you know, uh, we saw Becton get hurt the other night. Would the Eagles listen to calls on Dillard if a team lost their starting left tackle and they said, hey, we need a left tackle? What do you, I mean, would they be willing to move him or are they at the point where they rather have him on the roster to start the season? Yeah, that was funny. That was on my list if we had enough time. I'll address it. Here's the problem. If they trade Dillard, you, you're going down to LaRaven Clark. LaRaven Clark's the kind of guy, if you need him to start two, three, four games, you'll probably get away with it, but not for a full season. You need that insurance policy. We've got a right-handed quarterback here. That's the blind side, blind side protector. I wouldn't do it. I don't. The Eagles have resisted overtures uh, before the draft last year during the trade deadline. Um, now, I do wonder if they get a... a you know, a third-round offer, would they listen to it? Second-round pick obviously would do it, but I don't know anyone's going to offer a second. Um, now, remember, George Fank was their left tackle last year. He could play left tackle, so that's not a problem. The question would right tackle the Jets. Because um, so, Becton was going to play right and Fant was going to could play left. They could have done that now, Becton out for the year. And look, Joe Douglas was, uh, you know, involved in that, uh, was, was involved uh, when, in that draft pick. So. Right. Uh, with Dillard, so that's something to keep an eye on, no question about it. But uh, the, that's a tough call for the Eagles because they got to be careful. You, the, 
if this was not going to be a team that would make the playoffs, it'd say just go move them and let them walk, or, or they could do what's logic. They could just let them walk and try to get a compensatory pick. But to me, it's it's less than likely, but it's something to keep an eye on. All right, Adam Kaplan is uh, camp tour is continuing at Kaplan NFL on Twitter to follow him uh, and follow all his camp tour and of course the Eagles Friday night against the Jets. He'll be back on Friday with notes on that game here. Uh, you can listen on ninety seven three ESPN football at four and then Eagles Jets seven thirty with Merrill Reese and Mike Quick. All right, Adam Kaplan, enjoy it, pal. Thank you. All right. Uh, apparently, some weather issues in the Tampa area were wrecking uh, havoc with his cell service down there, which uh, kind of delayed uh, his entry to the Football at Four program. But we were able to get him on board and get a couple of quick news and notes out there for you guys here on the Sports Bash Live. All right. I got another name to qualify. And I have that coming up next right here on the Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. You know... One of the things, we'll have headlines on the other side. One of the things that I want to get into a little bit later as well is uh, the audio from this Ben Simmons stuff. Yesterday we read the quote. I don't think me reading the quote does it as much justice. I'll play that audio coming up at the back end of this hour. All right? We'll fit that in. Maybe I'll do it during headlines. Maybe that's a headline type of story, right? Josh is saying no. Shoulder shrug, he said. I have so much Ben Simmons fatigue, so I'm just like, sure. Okay. The audio from Buker is, is priceless, though. The look on his face, like he can't even believe that this is the story that he was given. Like he was, can't believe the words are coming out. Yeah, of but I don't even know that it's true. That's the problem. How much stock can I put into that? I don't know. I don't have an iPhone, but apparently, like, if you have an iPhone, like, I wouldn't know if somebody got out of my chat in, in, in my... Well, like, you could do it on Facebook. Like, on a Facebook group chat. Yeah, but I don't think these guys are Facebooking chat. each other. No, they're not. It's they're in a chat, right. It's they're in an iPhone chat. A group chat. Yeah, I don't... On an Android, I don't know if somebody gets out. But here's the thing. Maybe I what, would know. What if, what if he left by accident? Nah, you don't leave by accident. Come on, you're, like, okay, you're for instance, I could get out of this chat, I think. Yeah. Could I? The group chat? Uh, group conversation. There's a way you can go up to, like, remove yourself from the chat, isn't there? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't do it. But we'll play that audio coming up. All right, stick around. I got a name on the other side as well. More Sports Bash on the way. Now, back to the Sports ESPN. All right, 436 on the Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. I got another qualifying name for you guys out there. So if you have qualified, listen for your name. If you haven't, go to our website, 973ESPN.com, to enter to win an Eagles road trip. Thanks to Philly Sports Trips, we're sending someone to Washington, FedEx Field, September 25th. You're going to see the Eagles and the Commanders, Carson Wentz and the Commanders. That's all happening thanks to our friends at Philly Sports Trips. We're going to be doing a live show to give away this great trip. August 26th, we'll be live at Garden State Brewery. You need to be present to win, and I'll announce the winning name on August 26th. That's a Friday. It's actually a happy hour Friday. How about that? All right. Uh, Mike Parker. Mike Parker is our latest qualifier. Hey, Mike Parker, you are one step closer 
to winning an Eagles road trip thanks to Philly Sports Trips and Garden State Brewery. So, Mike Parker, if you're out there, congratulations, my friend. If you haven't entered yet, what are you waiting for? Go to 973ESPN.com right now. All the instructions are there. Josh, what do you got? Well, I'm going to start with baseball. Did you see this story about Chris Sale? Yeah, he fell off his bike or something, right? Chris Sale didn't just fall off a bike. He fell and broke his right wrist. Which oh, I means... saw that. That's what I mean. I thought that was inferred because of the injury. Well, the thing was is that the reason I why... I wouldn't just say he fell off his bike for no reason. I'll leave that comment alone. <laughs> I mean, I thought you were asking me, did you, did you see how he got hurt? Well, I was asking if you saw the whole story. He fell off his bike, he broke his wrist, he's out for the year. Right. Remember, he just came back from a broken rib cage that he suffered during a workout in the offseason. So now he's off riding a bike on his own. He hurts himself, too. According to baseball, the head of baseball operations, Shane Bloom of the Red Sox, the hope was for sale to play catch on Saturday to get some more work in. But then he got on his bike after doing a little workout, hit something going down a hill, fell off his bike, to which Bloom said, you couldn't make this up if you wanted to. It stinks. Yeah. Well, that whole, yeah, uh, the Red Sox season has turned into a dumpster. Dumpster fire. Yeah, that's what I said. Dumpster. He said dumpster, dumpster fire. Well, it's inferred. Like falling off the bike, you broke your wrist. It was inferred. The dumpster fire would be the dumpster. Uh, poor Red Sox. Those yeah. fans, they, they were hoping that this team might do something this year. Well, they just made the trade for Tommy Pham. Um, sorry. You can't win every year. Yeah, I don't think they expect to be in last place. Uh, speaking of dumpster Well, fight, I mean, to be fair, you don't generally think Baltimore is going to be one of the best teams in baseball over the last 60 games. New York's having a historical season. Tampa Bay's always, like, you know, a pain in the butt. Yep. Toronto, you knew they were going to be good this year, you would think. You would think. I mean, they got a lot of good players. But uh, you want to go college football next? Or are you, uh, you yeah, give me a little college football. All right. So for those who haven't seen, one of the assistant coaches on the Oklahoma staff, Kale yeah, Gundy. Yeah, I saw this story. It was a little weird. He resigned. Well, it got weirder. He resigned after he claimed he set up an inappropriate offensive word. To which Did he read the word? He read the word, yes. It wasn't he, like he said it himself. He correct. read it off of... Like, what did he read? I didn't get that deep into the story. Well, but Gundy it, claims that he he read the word out loud while reading, like, a, basically from a transcript. He didn't realize what he was reading until after he said it out loud. That's what he claimed. Now, the head coach, Brenton Venables, last night released a statement that claims that Gundy used a racially charged word multiple times. It's a little different than Gundy's story. And then... Did he read the the same thing over and over again? That's what the Venables is claiming. Okay. To which now, Gundy's daughter has gotten involved. Cat Gundy, because of course a coach at Oklahoma's daughter... Is this Gundy's son, the Oklahoma State coach? 
He is related. I don't think he's his son, though. Okay. Uh, the daughter of Kale Gundy, Kat, came out and said that Coach Venables is forcing players to keep their mouth shut about what really happened and that the truth will come to fruition. It's only a matter of time. Apparently, Kat Gundy uh, has a lot of lawyer friends. So as Andrew Brand said, the lawyers are going to be getting involved in this. According to reports, there is a potential lawsuit in the works. Yeah, I'd have to get more context and, and like, if he just read it off of something that somebody gave him. He but, said he read the words off of a player's iPad during a film session. Yeah, I don't know what to do with that one. Again, I'd have to read the story more. Well, I'll give you another college football story. So you and I talked about this earlier. ESPN is out of the Big Ten negotiations for their next TV contract. The TV contract, according to reports, is going to come down to CBS, NBC, and then, of course, they're staying with Fox because Fox has a 60% ownership of the Big Ten network. So it looks like CBS is going to replace the SEC leaving for ESPN with the Big Ten as their afternoon game, and then NBC will get primetime games that will work around their Notre Dame schedule. Yeah, well, ESPN has had the Big Ten for 40 years, from what I understand. Yes. Right? It goes back to the early 1980s. It was on ABC before ESPN ever came along. People forget, though. They went and offered $350 million to get the SEC game. So the Big Ten was probably like, hey, what about us? We've been with you for 40 years. You went and spent $350 million to go get another league. They were offering $380 million to keep the Big Ten. But ESPN rejected the Big Ten's counteroffer, according to Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic. The Big Ten was offering the B and C game package to ESPN. ESPN was looking for the primetime package for, for the money they were offering and then instead of the A package. So because the Big Ten would not offer them to be part of the primetime A package anymore, they pulled the $380 million deal off the table. Well, I guess they figure we have a chance to get that 330 slot over at CBS and be the game of the week over there. Yeah, but this has an impact with ESPN wanting primetime games. ESPN wanted a guaranteed primetime game. So the idea would be, under according to this article from The Athletic, ESPN said, look, I understand you have the big noon game at Fox. CBS can still have the main afternoon game, but we want the main nighttime game. So, like, let's say that the big noon game was Michigan-Michigan State. And on the same weekend, you know, Penn State-Ohio State was the nighttime game. ESPN wanted them to guarantee, like, that kind of game for them. Right. And apparently the Big Ten said, no, you're going to get the BC games. The college football landscape is a changing. Right? Yeah. And, and that's also, what it comes down to. Also, in this article, it's saying that since there's no ESPN Plus involved anymore, there's a possibility that Amazon or Apple could get involved in some streaming oh, capacity. Oh, I figure that would be coming as well. That the games would still be on the major networks, according to this article, but there would be a secondary streaming option for select games. Also, Peacock is also part of the NBC offering. So the big, apparently Big Ten is having to decide between just Peacock or maybe doing something with Apple or Amazon. 
Um, I'm interested to see if one of these streaming services ends up getting some sort of um, like window by itself. Because it's one thing to have a game on at noon on Saturday when every other station has a game on. But we're like where they get a day or a time that's their day and time. Well, it's interesting to note that without ESPN, remember in the past, a lot of those Thursday, Friday night games would go on ESPN, right? Is that maybe where Amazon or Apple TV comes in and says, hey, if it's Minnesota versus I don't know, Minnesota versus Purdue on a Friday night. Is that game going on their streaming service? Um, that would be interesting to see if ESPN wants to give up a Thursday night game. I, I... Well, if ESPN's out of the conversation is what I'm saying. Those Big Ten Thursday, Friday night games, they used to be on either FS1 now, usually, or ESPN. Well, usually those uh, Thursday night games were like ACC games. They used to be Big East games. Well, sometimes it would have the Big Ten shuffle their schedule around. It's like a team that's going on a bye week or something like that. Like, I remember there's numerous times that Big Ten has had, like, a Minnesota game, like a Thursday or Friday night in the past. I don't remember I that. remember that because... I, it's always... It's like North Carolina... Lose the ACC game. That's yeah. what I'm saying. They're usually... ESPN generally has, like, ACC, like, the fourth ACC game of the week. I don't remember Big Ten playing on Thursday night all that much. Not much, but I just know that Rutgers, they were... Louisville, back when the Rutgers. Big East... <laughs> the Big East used to always play on Thursday. Now, the Big 12, because I know West Virginia plays, I think, like three Thursday night games this year. That's crazy. Yeah, they played Pitt on Thursday, and I think it's three Thursday night games. So I think those Big 12 games are getting moved to Thursday night now. Oh, those who are wondering, CBS is expected to pay the Big Ten $350 million in the new deal. Don't forget, that is less money that ESPN is paying the SEC to leave CBS. Oh, yeah. The SC- CBS went paid the Big Ten more than they were paying the SEC, but they had to get something. Right. But the Big Ten is getting less money from CBS than ESPN was offering in their deal. So it's an interesting, you know, moving of the pieces around here. Uh, congratulations. Our latest qualifier, Mike Parker. If you're out there, Mike Parker... 609-573-3776. We will uh, get you all signed up for your chance to win that Eagles road trip from Philly Sports Trips to go down to Washington to see the Eagles and the Commanders. Got more Sports Bash coming up. Now, back to more by 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, 453, final hour. Pete Thompson on the way. We'll do uh, our Tuesday with Thompson We'll look at the Phils tonight, the Eagles, all the stuff that's happening at camp. There was a Flyers story yesterday that Pete brought up to me after the show was over. Can't remember what it was. I'll have to ask him. Plus, we'll get into the uh, That's Entertainment with PT coming up tonight uh, at 5.30 here on the Sports Bass Live 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill at Mike Gill Show on Twitter. And you can follow me there. And don't forget, you can sign up for this trip, which uh, we'll be giving away on Friday, August 26th. We'll be at Garden State Brewery. Uh, I also um, want to remind you that Monday we're going to be at Ocean uh, at the Gallery Bar Book and Games. This place was fantastic yesterday. I'm looking forward to the year where we're going to be there all season long. Every single Monday, uh, we will be there live. Uh, So we'll check that out 
uh, or hopefully you'll check that out on Mondays. We did check it out yesterday, and uh, it was fabulous, man. It was uh, it was a sight to see. We, and, and the one cool part about it was there was a lot of local people out there. I saw a lot of local people that listened to the show, that were out there, came up and said hello. And uh, for the first week, that was pretty cool. So we hope uh, more people come on out and watch some games, bet on some games. You know what the cool part about that room is? They have table games in the sports book. Wow. So you can play blackjack. You can play roulette. There's table games in the sports book. So Fancy. it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, we were talking earlier about, with Frank Close, which players should go on the wall of fame. And we talked about the 08 team. So that's really like the next group of players. We'll get into that with the PT as well. That's next Tuesday with Thompson here on the Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, just after five, Sports Bash Live. It's a Tuesday. That means it's a Tuesday with Thompson. The PT's here. Now, PT will be joining me on Mondays when we are live at Ocean. You'll also be a part of Happy Hour Friday with PT. And a Tuesday with Thompson starts right now here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. As uh, we all have another qualifying name coming up right after uh, our Tuesday with Thompson segment. We got That's Entertainment as well. So we got a lot of fun this hour, Peter. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I feel like I just saw you. Yeah, are you wearing the same shirt you had on yesterday? No, I had on a Town Square Media shirt oh, on right. yesterday, right. and now today... Go Big Red. That's right. That's right. So uh, there's a lot happening. We got Phillies tonight, right, against Mm -hmm. the Marlins. And we were talking about this earlier about, like, you've won, what, uh, you swept them the last time. They've won five out of six against the Marlins. But before that, the Marlins beat you three out of four. And this is one of those series where, like, you cannot give in and let up against this Marlins team, man. Yeah. Keep beating the teams that you're supposed to beat. And obviously, you can't be a Phillies fan and not think about historically how they've struggled against the Marlins. But there's a reason that Miami's 10 games under 500 and the Phillies are not. There's a reason that Zach Wheeler is 10-5 and with a 2.69 ERA and Braxton Garrett is not. You know, So, I mean, go out and do your job. And I'll say this, it is hotter today than I think it was Sunday at the ballpark, and that was like Hades. You know what Hades is, right? That's another word for H-E double hockey sticks. So that ball is going to be carrying. You know what I mean? It's yeah. going to get out of that park in a hurry. Well, the the word that uh, you would use to describe the weather today is very soupy, PT. Yeah, the air you can wear. Yeah, I'll take that one, too. It's uh, Yeah, it's quite nasty out there. But, uh, hey, look, the Phil's uh, playing some good ball. They've won... You know, 10 out of 11, we talked yesterday about the fact that the Pete Rose situation kind of put a damper on everything. But what did you think about the fact that um, (laughs) Kurt Schilling came out today and basically said, look, the guy's been nice to me, but man, he just has no coots. He's got no morals. He's got no self-awareness. I mean, if Schilling's calling you out. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, if Schilling is coming on top of that, then you've really done something wrong. You know what I mean? And, and I actually uh, I spoke with uh, Mike Frankel today, and that was the first point that he went to. He, he started to get back into his high school previews and stuff, and uh, we were catching up on some things. And I, he said, I told him I had been at the game on Sunday, and he said, well, what about this Pete Rose stuff? And then we talked about it. And he goes, oh, well, you, you didn't see it because you were at the game. And I said, actually – I came home, I DVR'd the game, I came home and rewatched the broadcast so I accurately could see what I what Pete Rose said. And it's a good thing I didn't just try to watch the replay, because did you see what NBC Sports Philadelphia did? No. They cut out the sixth inning completely. Wow. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's how they handled it. Because, you know, a lot of times uh, they will do that when they go to run a game again. Uh, they'll sit, they'll, they'll have it up there and then they'll say something like, um, due to time constraints, we now move ahead I've seen in that. the following program. Yeah, I've seen okay. that, but do they generally cut an inning out or do they just kind of, you know what I mean? Like navigate until they can't go. Great any question. So a lot of times this happens in Flyers games and what they'll do is they'll chop out both intermissions and whatever X, like if they have to trim off any other fat to get it to fit like a two-hour time slot. You know what I mean? But, yeah, it's very, it's rare that they're going to cut out actual game. Uh, but they because there was no run scored, it made their decision easy. It, it just – it literally jumped right from, you know, the uh, – they took out the whole sixth inning. You know, if you were watching it, you saw the Nationals bat in the top of the fifth. Then they went to commercial, right? Then their graphic came up and said, due to time constraints, and then it came back to the top of the seventh. Uh, interesting. All right, uh, let's get uh, a couple other things here. Um, obviously, uh, you take a look at, um, you know, and we talked about what um, Schilling had said. He comes out and basically said, hey, the guy's got no cooth. He's got no uh, self-awareness. He doesn't know, uh, you know, and we're, and we're laughing because it's like, you know, this is shilling here, but we got into this whole thing happened because they were honoring the 80 team. They did the Wall of Fame and all that stuff. Bake McBride, Ron Reed. Um, so when Bake McBride, not there. Yeah. When Frank <laughs> Close way. was on with us earlier, one of the questions in his mailbag today was the next group of guys in the Wall of Fame would probably start being this 08 crew, right? Okay, I'm yeah, you know, a Jimmy Rollins, a Ryan Howard, a Chase Utley, one of those guys, a Jason Worth, you know, you can start dipping into that. Right, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, Burl went in already. He, he's been in there. He was the first mm -hmm. guy because he retired first out of that crew. But now you have the next group of guys, Rollins, Utley, Howard, Cole Hamels. But I said, literally, you could almost put every single guy from that team on the wall of fame. I mean... The whole starting team. Maybe not Pedro Feliz. <laughs> he would be the one guy, probably. But you go Howard, Utley, Rollins, right? Victorino. Yeah, in, in, in. Yeah, Victorino, the flying Hawaiian, sure. And Burl's, all big day for him. Burl's already in. Okay. Um, Ruiz. Yeah, even if you're going to do bullpen arms, you know, I mean, Lidge would obviously be in, right? Let's not jump ahead here, PT. Let's follow Sorry. the pattern here. Sorry. Ruiz. Follow the pattern. Well, I don't know what your pattern is. <laughs> well, you can see I'm going around the diamond kind of here. I don't know if you haven't figured that one out yet, but I started it first. I went around the diamond, then I'm in the outfield. Then I went to catcher, all right? 
Ruiz, yes? Uh, yes. I missed you so much from um, Monday to the day. What about Jason Worth? You putting him up there? I think so. I mean, I, I, I think that Jason Worth contributed to that, you know, eventually. You're right. I mean, look, there's only you're not going to you've mined everything you can get from all the other wall of fame kind of players. There's nobody in the middle now. You know what I mean? And now that they've honored like, trust me, it was a stretch. Like Ron Reed was a great contributor but he wasn't like unbelievably inside but Bank McBride was generational I thought for his time so but they were just trying to if it wasn't if it didn't match up with the 80 reunion those guys aren't even really wall of fame guys but well, it, it, I feel like out. the Phillies have a ton of guys who are not wall of fame worthy on the wall of fame and part of the reason I said this to Frank is they only have two eras of baseball that were any good they have from 76 <laughs> to 80 <laughs> anything from 81 to 92 is unworthy and anything from, yeah. anything from 94 to 20 2006 isn't worthy i think steve jeltz was at the alumni weekend don't piss off steve <laughs> jeltz now <laughs> um brad lidge would go up right cole hamels right. now i can say brad lidge <laughs> brad lidge cole hamels um i don't know jamie well, moyer uh, is he not on the wall? He was there this weekend. Is he not on the wall yet? Yeah, he would be probably somebody, especially, you know, that's one because they could also, he's from Southerton. He grew up in the area. Uh, I think that's a no brainer at some point in time. But you're going, you know, and by the way, um, I think they changed it to four years now, right? Uh, post uh, playing days to no, try no, no, and get no. back in quicker. How many years you had years to you play? spent with the Phillies? Yes. Right. By the way, not for nothing, but. I, I don't even know the answer to this. How many years did Dale Murphy play with the Phillies? My guess would be three. Doctor Dirty and Mister Clean. I remember I had that poster. Remember that was the big that was the big contribution, right? Doctor Dirt. It was dirt, not dirty, because dirty would imply that he was, you know, unsavory. Yeah. Like he dirt. played three seasons in Philadelphia, but yeah. one of the seasons he only played eighteen games. Right, and then. You traded him to Colorado. Does that sound right? Yes. And then one of the seasons he played 57. So he was really only here for one full season. Yeah, true, true. Well, uh, I, I just, if it's got to be a minimum of, they change it to four seasons, right? You got to be here four, four seasons. Yeah, I think it's four. Yeah. Four speed bumps. Yeah. Got it. But like, okay, so you got that 08 team. So essentially, and if you put the whole team in, how do you not put Feliz in? Oh, they're not, yeah, but I mean, you, you're only going to do two a year, right? I don't you're know. See, that's another thing that we talked about, Pete, was do you put Howard, Utley, and Rollins in together as a threesome and then kind of do, like, groups of three over the next, you know, because there's so many from that, that era. Yeah, that's an interesting, well, and it, I guess it depends on how hard they up are on ticket sales, right? Are you going to put Howard Rollins and Utley all together? And because by the way, Pedro Feliz, Pedro Feliz only played two years. Oh, he does, sorry, Pedro, you're out. Yeah. But then you have like the next year where you have Raul Abanez. That's true. But, uh, it's funny how I loved Raul Abanez when he was here. I liked his contributions, but I always kind of look back melancholy when I think of Raul Abanez because if they did not get Raul Abanez, the Phillies would have had a draft pick and perhaps they could have gotten Mike Trout. 
There you go. Yes. Uh, blame Raul Abanez for the Phillies not having Mike Trout. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, by the way, Abanez only played three years in Philly, so. not That's not four. All right. Yeah, going. Yeah, then you have, like, Cliff Lee. Yeah. Well, but didn't Cliff, like, how long was he here? Well, the first time he was only here for like half the the season, right? Then they let they traded him in the off season, and then right, after that they off. brought him back. Now, when they brought him back, he ended up being here for five years. Yeah, but he didn't he didn't pitch all that much. But he ended up being with the Phillies for five years, four when he came back and won the first time. Yeah, I mean that, he could be worthy, sure. Although you know, I mean, I just look at it like this, uh, and I was who was telling me that. They said that they had been at the – I was talking to somebody after we did our show yesterday, and they were saying something about they were at the cart, the last – the Phillies' last playoff game. I'm like, you mean the one where Ryan Howard got hurt? And he's like, well, and they were trying to do it like they lost to – was it the uh, the teams that eventually ended up winning the World Series? You know, they lost to the Giants, and the Giants won the World Series. They lost to the – uh, who else is in there? Was it the Cardinals then the next year and the Cardinals ended up winning the World Series? Uh, it was the Giants the one year, the Cardinals the second year. Right. And so when he said the thing about the Cardinals, I said that was the last game. That's when Ryan Howard crumpled with the thing. And he said, "Was I think it was Matt Carpenter that you know somehow outdueled Roy Halladay. And I said, but that's where Ryan Howard, like, I just wanted to go right to the fact, like, here this team is celebrating and Howard's laying on the first baseline, unable to get up, unable to walk. You know that that indelible moment of where the franchise changed. Right, um, I remember that he. I was there. He went down like a ton of bricks, and you know that was it. You're right. Um, all right, uh, Sports Bash Live, ninety-seven three, ESPN uh, PT. So I was on uh, Crossing Broadcast today. I was their guest on that show. Fun. You can I check that out on their YouTube channel. Yeah, the guys are good. It's yeah, you know, Kincaid's a West Virginia guy, and uh, Kyle, who hosts the show, was, was a nice guy. So. First time I ever been on the show as a guest, but one of the things they asked me was like this whole. Did you see the the, the guy who's the closer Diaz for the Mets? He made his entrance oh, yeah. with the horns, I, and I started I started following the guy on Twitter that uh, that's producing this stuff. You know, uh, well, because go ahead. His point was. You know, they had this closer with the horns and the whole place is going crazy. And they did something with um, on social media when DeGrom came back. In other words, that there are the atmosphere at Mets games and stadiums like he's saying the Phillies atmosphere seems like it's a little blast. And maybe that's one of the reasons why the attendance hasn't really taken off. You agree well, that going to yes. a Phillies game is still a little stuffy. Yes, because I'm 51, and you, you should be trying to cater to the, you know, 18 to 34 market. I'm, four, I'm not 18 to 34 anymore, MG. And when I watched that, look, I'm not a Mets guy at all. But when I watched DeGrom warming up with Simple Man playing behind him, Leonard Skinner, I was like, God damn, this is good. Or I saw, like, the uh, basically steady cam follow the closer out of the building or, or out of the bullpen onto the field. And then the music starts and there's Mr. Met and Mrs. Met with their horns going, doo, 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 you know, they're doing their stuff. And, and they like were off key. Guy. They were off key, I, by the way, they were not, they were not <laughs> so synchronized. Right. But no, oh, I have watched that Diaz entry from the bullpen probably 15 times. 
See, and that's engaging, and you're skewering old. I mean, that they're try- the Mets are at least making the attempt. You know as well as I do that they put Dan Baker in the. Uh, you know, they gave him the nice honor for 50 years of PA announcing. Well, one of the pictures they used was Dan Baker and Philly's organist, Paul Richardson. Well, when you're in the ballpark, they still have the charge. They've been playing that little sounder. It used to be Paul Richardson actually playing in an organ, but they've been playing that since I was like seven. So you're saying 45 years of the same drop, you know? They haven't, yes, the walk-up music and some of that stuff, but your question to me is, are the Phillies engaging the younger audience? No, they are not. (laughs) Well, I mean, you go up there a lot and you go, you know, I I mentioned, okay, when I go to Philly spring training, I might be the youngest guy in the ballpark by like 20 years. I mean, now I'm talking about the seats. In the bar area, there's a lot of younger people, but they're not there for the game. They're there to hang out. If you're actually sitting in the bowl at whatever the place is called down there, Spectrum Field, I think it's called. Okay. Uh, I'm the youngest guy down there by a, a large margin. I mean, so would you say that the the crowds at the games are not skewing younger? I mean... I think that they're trying to do, like, one of the things the Philadelphians don't like is change. But then one of the things you get criticized for is not changing, right? Uh, To use the TV analogy, the reason that Action News has been the most successful of all the news programs is because they held on to their talent for so long. They had their format for so long. And, and, you know, to the stuff that the Phillies do, which is which red, white, or blue set the bus is going to be there, where's the baseball under, you know. I mean, all those are all the antics that the Phillies do that aren't, you know, a steady cam following a guy out of the bullpen and all these things. And that was one of the things they brought up on the show today was Mm. that, you know, you go to, you know, they got the the pierogi races, uh, the sausage races is in Milwaukee, and you've got the uh, president's racing in Washington, and you got that freeze guy that runs the, the freeze. Yeah, in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah, but even that's starting to get a little dated. But, yeah, that's, uh, that, you know. Yeah, but I'm the same. But, like, so through one half inning, is that going to make the difference? I don't know. I just think, and you wrote about this uh, in your Shore Local column, which is uh, that the attendance was a little bit uh, surprising, I thought. Yeah, very much so. And, and, you know, the fact that it caught the attendance was 10,000 difference from Thursday night to Friday night, and I, I couldn't believe that. Like, one ring, one replica ring is worth 10,000 fans. Well, then I was lucky enough to get one of those rings, and I, I could see why people. Do you know that a guy that I'm friends with on Facebook who grew up in the area here said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that uh, I had to go to eBay and I bought one of those rings. Don't make fun of me. And I wrote back and I said, well, that's great that you bought the ring. Why would I make fun of you? And he says, uh, well, you know, some people say if you don't go to the actual game, you shouldn't get the item. And I said, no, if you really want it, you can you can do whatever you want. Well, that ring, I have no problem because that ring was worth it. And then I said, just out of curiosity, how much did you pay? And he said, $50. And I thought to myself, I would gladly, like if I wasn't able to get one, from my source, I gladly would have forked over fifty dollars for what I got. I would agree. I think it was definitely worth paying fifty bucks for. And yeah. you know, memorabilia is not my bag, but that is 
that ring was pretty. I couldn't believe the quality of that ring. Yeah, I mean, and it's the kind of thing that, like, so if you're doing a Phillies road trip, you used to do those road trips all the time. If you were on the road in Milwaukee or if you were on the road in St. Louis or you're somewhere else where the Phillies are playing and you've got that on, I guarantee you that it's going to be a conversation starter with not only Phillies fans that might come up to you, but the opposing team's fans who'd be like, holy cow, where did you get that, you know? Give away 50 bucks. The PT would have uh, all of a sudden. Didn't you like say you were Kurt Schilling to get into a game or something one time? That was in Toronto in 93 when I was skinny. Yeah, that's right. Now, I didn't. Uh, the guy said, are you Kurt Schilling uh, when we were on the airplane together? And I said, oh, my gosh, no, no, that's so funny. But no, I am not Kurt Schilling. And he's like, well, do you want to go to a party with me later? And he was like the same <laughs> age. And I said, I said, yeah, sure. You know, I said, I got to throw my bags to the hotel. And there was no Uber. So. We got off the plane. He drove me to the hotel. I threw my bags just at the bell stand and made sure they knew I was coming back later. And <laughs> off we went to some young people's party. And, you know, what he did was he said, like, before I got out of the car, hey, I'm going to tell people you're the, I'm going to tell people that you're Kurt Schilling. So yeah. just go with it. Nowadays, so nowadays, you're Kevin Saucier, right? Oh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's uh, about that big. Come on now. That's not nice. But uh I don't know that I want to be Kurt Schilling either, quite frankly. Uh, Although he's still better than Peter Edward Rose. Uh, Pete Rose had a rough one. And I, I, I got to be honest, I don't know that we're ever going to see Pete Rose uh, around baseball again. I think that might have been it. I think that was your last opportunity uh, to see Pete. And I think he screwed it up. My same guy that uh, helped me procure the ring uh, was texting me back and forth about uh, Pete Rose today. We were having a little bit of conversation, and he said, like, uh, thank God we don't have to deal with that again or something to that effect. You know, like, well, you'll, you'll never see him again. No, I would think that uh, that was it. Uh, all right. Uh, check out PT's uh, Extra Points column in Shore Local this weekend. And uh, when we come back, we'll get into uh, That's Entertainment, which uh, there's a lot going on in that front as uh, you can check out PT's That's Entertainment column in, what's it, Friday? Uh, yeah, when? they usually, sometimes, I mean, technically Thursday, but by Friday, they're usually in all the stands at the Wawa's and the CBS and the Dunkin' Donuts and then all the local businesses, too. All right, well, uh, we'll do uh, That's Entertainment coming up next. Don't go away. Plus, I have another qualifying name. So if you haven't qualified yet, listen for your name. I'll do that next right here on the Sports Bash. Now, back to the Sports ESPN. All right, 530 Sports Bash. That's entertainment. Let's uh, check in with the PT. His column, uh, That's Entertainment, is uh, Friday in Shore Local. What are we watching? We're, uh, I got a couple things on the list, too, that Pete Thompson. All right, I like to, you know, have collaboration. That's good. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, by the way, yesterday while we were on the air, Olivia Newton John passed away. Yeah, a lot of people, I mean, I was surprised by it. You were talking. I held my phone up to Jen from Promotions and Marketing, and she kind of nodded like, yeah, isn't that a shame? I mean, I saw, it's funny, um, I saw as many posts of her as Sandy in Greece as I did see posts of Xanadu. And I got to tell you, I have never watched the film Xanadu. I know the song. I know magic. Don't you believe this is magic? But I, I was going to say, what it. is she known more for, her acting or her music? I think 
Uh, well, the iconic role of in Greece, you know, her, her Sandy to uh, John Travolta's Danny Zook. You know, I mean, that's that's like that's she's known for that probably first of anything, you know. But her singing career was actually pretty popular. I mean, she was she 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 was very successful. She won Grammys. You know, she, she didn't win. I don't think she won anything for uh, portraying Sandy Sandra D in Greece, but she won Grammys for actually being an actual singer. At one point, she even co-wrote a song with Andy Gibb. Remember the the youngest BG of Andy Gibb? You know, so I mean, she was hot in a lot of different venues and forums. But uh, it's to me, I'll just always remember. <laughs> and I had to look this up, but Greece came out in 1978. Now, what year were you born again? 77. Right. So you don't remember any of this, but I wasn't, and my sister would have been nine. And my sister, you know, first of all, my brother and I shared a room. My parents had their master bedroom, but because she was a girl, Pam got her own room, right? So it was a little bigger than ours, but that's not important right now. So anyhow, <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember her going in with her friend and slamming the door, and then they put the record on. And when I looked this up, there was four records by Gill. And I remember this album because you opened it up like a high school yearbook and it had all these pictures in it and then you had side one and or record one record two record three record i mean it was or maybe it was two records but it was four sides one two three four and she'd play that thing over and over and over again to the point that that stuff's still in my head of summer nights and you're the one that i want i mean i i can I can basically sing along with those. I heard them so much. Right, exactly. All right, uh, some other, uh, give me a new movie. Uh, I think you should check out Licorice Pizza if you can. Um, Licorice Pizza, I wanted to watch that when it came out in the theaters, and I missed it at the time, and now it has come out on the streaming service. It is on Netflix, and I I'm, I know you have Netflix because you've been watching, that's where you've been watching Red, right? That's where you've been catching up with your blacklist. Yeah, I do have Netflix. Yep. So uh, Licorice Pizza is by Paul Thomas Anderson, and it's a period drama. I mean, the way they describe it basically is, uh, you know, a couple fall in love in the San Fernando Valley in the 70s. All right. Uh, that may not suck you in right off the top. But then when you sit there and you think about the movies that Paul Thomas Anderson has made, he was behind Boogie Nights. Love that movie. He was behind Magnolia, which had Tom Cruise in like a serious kind of role in Jason Robards. I love that movie. He was in, he directed and wrote Punch Drunk Love, which was Adam Sandor's first like serious role. I like that movie. And he directed and I believe wrote There Will Be Blood. I drink your milkshake. That's, uh, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the guy's name too. Um, one of the greatest actors, Daniel Day Lewis. In that, I drink your milkshake, there will be blood. So, I mean, this guy, I feel like if I invest the time to look up licorice pizza and watch it, I will not get cheated. And then there's another movie out called 13 Lives. And I actually saw that it was dropping on Amazon Prime. And I thought, eh, I don't know. I kind of, you know, it's sort of like if somebody said to you, well, do you want to, like, if they predicted that the Titanic wasn't do, going to do well, because, well, you know how it ends. Well, 13 Lives is about that youth soccer team in Thailand that uh, in 2018 they got trapped in a cave and, you know, they were all stuck in there. And, like, for weeks, you know, people were trying to figure out how they were going to get them out of this cave. 
initially you'd be like, well, why do I want to watch that? I, I, I know how it ends. Well, because Ron Howard directed it. That's why I want to watch it, because Colin Farrell and Viggo Mortensen are in it. Because, you know, there was a little movie about a space incident that people had forgotten about. And now I watch Apollo 13 every time it's on. So, yes, I will watch 13 Lives and check that out. That's on Amazon Prime. Um, all right. Uh, I, um, I, I, last night would have been a night like last night. Well, last night I had some catching up to do. We, we, cause we were away. So yeah. How about uh, the hard knocks? Now uh, I'm DVRing it for tonight. Yeah. What do you got? A couple streaming shows. What do you got? Well, the hard knocks is out. I mean, I know you're struggling for HBO, but you can come over and watch it at my house if you'd like. Very kind of you. You know, I mean, uh, it's this year's Detroit. Um, I've seen some clips already cause I, I was watching, for whatever reason, I don't normally do this, but I was watching a lot of good morning football this morning. And uh, first of all, I didn't know that Kay Adams left. Where, where, where did Kay Adams go? Does Josh know? She is going. Originally, she was supposed to go to Amazon. Oh, I know. Right? She went She went to Zone. She went to, like, the fighting. Uh, she took the money. She she left NFL Network for a better, a better gig. I thought she was doing something different, too, though. She technically yeah. has three gigs right now. She's doing the Amazon NFL stuff. She's doing ah. the DAZN pay-per-view stuff. And she's also apparently working for People Magazine. because She just did an interview with George Clooney. Mm, that's not bad. That, and that very good, Josh. That ties in with entertainment. Well, suffice to say that the girl that's on there now is er- Erdahl. Jamie, Jamie Erdahl. Erdahl, yes. Well, they played Wordle today or Wordle, you know, and they had uh, all the different guys come up and sort of like, it was fun. I, I enjoyed that segment. But while I was watching that, they also ran clips of Hard Knocks. And Gil, you want to watch this Hard Knocks simply to see Deuce Staley give the business to the defensive, uh, the secondary coach. Like, he's over there just running his mouth. I mean, he is a Hard Knocks dream. You know, the producer's like, just put a mic on Deuce. Just put a mic on Deuce. And they went to Baldy, and Baldy's like, actually, people think that maybe he did that just for the show, but that's how Deuce Staley's been. Like, he's like, I, I remember when he was playing in Philadelphia. That's how he was. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, Hard Knock starts tonight, right? Yep. All yep. Right. Starts tonight. Gotcha. I'll be watching. Are uh, you watching The Captain? I am. We're, we got a couple in the DVR. We're, we're two behind, but I've been watching The Captain, and I'm continuing to watch that. And, um, I'm watching uh, a thing called uh, Who Do You Think You Are, okay? And it's uh, all about, like, heritage. Like, it takes a celebrity and then tracks them of, like, who were your ancestors and where did you come from? And and the thing is, is they picked pretty interesting people, I think, you know. Um, so I watched the one with Alice and Janney from the West Wing, but they've had Nick Offerman, uh, Zachary Levi, who was in Chuck, and then uh, one went in the other night uh, with Bradley Whitford who was also from the West Wing, but, of course, I think of him first and foremost as Eric from Billy yeah. Madison. <laughs> uh, Eric so what's is it, like, Is it sponsored by, like, 23andMe? No, but it should be. You'd think that'd be the easiest sponsor for him to right. get, Ancestry.com right? presents Who you Do know, You Think any, You Are? Any of those. That's a layup right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Um, you, now, were you the one who told me to watch The Bear? Well, I wondered how you threw that at me yesterday, but I must have told you about it. I still haven't seen an episode yet. But I will say this. I don't even have to look up the guy's name. Jeremy Allen White played Lip in the American version of Shameless. Yep. And he was awesome. 
So I I will watch the bear simply because he's the lead character in it to hopefully see if it's anywhere near as good as Shameless was. Gotcha. What about uh, uh, Reservation Dogs? Have you watched that? No. Is it what? Tell me about it. Um, comedy and drama. It says yes. Uh, apparently, it's about. Uh, uh, I think they're like set in like Oklahoma, and there's a bunch of kids that are basically like trying to get out of Oklahoma. But they, um, uh, from from what I understand, it it's like the top stream show right now. Huh? Only on Hulu and FX. Okay. Now that's a whole other story that I just found out yesterday. So Reservation Dogs is a FX show, but it's not on FX. It's owned by Disney, which I guess yeah. bought FX. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's a, I, I tried to explain this earlier. Yeah, but Josh so, gives it to me in a way that I just don't care about. All right, well, the Marvel <laughs> Comics sold no, no, off no, no. to... I didn't even say Marvel earlier, so you just added that in. Yeah, well, that's uh, the way it came off to me. What I explained earlier Disney was owns four FX. years ago, Disney bought 21st Century Fox Studios and all accompanying library and properties. Yeah, that's exactly what I just said. No, it's not. <laughs> you said Disney was FX. That, that, that means nothing in the grand scheme of things. Well, they bought all the FX properties. They so the FX, people think, is owned by Fox, but it's not. It's owned by Disney. Which is what I said. Booby so traps. The only way you can watch it is not on FX, it's on Hulu, which is owned by Disney, 60%. There you go. Well, that was fun. But the show is called Reservation Dogs. It's a comedy. Uh, it's a unique perspective on uh, indigenous North American youths while following the lives of teenagers in rural Oklahoma who commit crimes in their neighborhoods while also fighting others who have been doing the same. And essentially, like, they like their life there, but they're also trying to get out of there. From what I understand, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really, really funny. Does and you, sound- uh, you haven't seen one yet? You've watched a little of it, though? No, I was listening to a podcast... Uh, with, um, I forget who the guest was. I'll tell you in a second. But it was a TV and my, guy. And these were his top shows to that he was uh, suggesting to watch right now. This sounds like one you might like. It's called The Outlaws, and it's on Amazon Prime. And it's about seven strangers who meet because they've been sentenced to community service to pick up trash on the side of the road. So they're all in their vests, and then they come across a bag of money. Well, they can't agree on anything on how to pick up the trash or do anything, so what do they do with the bag of money? And the lead guy is Christopher Walken. I like him. All right. More cowbell. Yeah, it was Alan Steppenwall, by the way, from Rolling Stone. Oh, there you go. Yeah. My brother was trying to tell me that he was watching the morning show on Disney, not Disney, Apple on Apple TV Plus, Plus. And, and how great it was. And and, I, and he's like, so have you seen it yet? And I'm like, come on, dude. You know that I don't have Apple. They actually, my phone. they actually brought that up on the podcast and said it was the worst television show on all platforms, yet it's so bad that they keep watching it. I would like to see Ted Lasso. You know, that's probably the one show that's on Apple or maybe a stupid Phillies game that gets migrated to there. But that's probably the one thing that I would like to watch on Apple that I, I, I wouldn't mind watching Ted last. Now, the other one was that, The Old Man. You told me about that? 
Yeah, it was really good. The old man was excellent. That's Jeff Bridges, and it's uh, or yeah, Jeff Bridges who had never done TV before, and uh, John Lithgow, and uh, Jeff Bridges is like an old CIA slash uh, turned rogue, you know, outlaw, and he's been in hiding forever. And the whole series opens with somebody breaks into his house and he shoots the guy, and then he has to go on the run. I have to, um, so I'm I'm. Getting down the wire here of Better Call Saul, I hear that the, the the end was unbelievable. Well, I don't have any spoilers for you, but I know that it must be good because I get, uh, you know, I used to subscribe to the actual magazine uh, when Entertainment Weekly was out. And now I just get like basically inundated with emails. But there's Better Call Saul. You know, I don't know who Kim is. I don't know who Gene is. Like, you know, but when the headline says Better Saul, Call Saul director so-and-so recaps this, that, the other. And I'm like, man, they're hammering my phone with Kim or Gene or this and that. And I'm thinking, like, this show must be pretty popular. Uh, have you, uh, and this might probably be more of a Josh show, What We Do in the Shadows? I don't even know what it is. What is it? It's an FX show. But uh, it has to do with uh, vampires. Oh, yeah. No, that's not me. That's not but me. But that was one that they, it's the number sixth. Uh, top show right now on streaming service. I've never seen it, and I'm not fully sure what to do about you associating me with vampires. It's a vampire mockumentary. <laughs> oh, come on, Josh. You know where you were Team Jacob or Team Edward? <laughs> uh, I was Team the guy who said the wrong thing at the wrong time during the movie that got me uh, ostracized by the lady I was with and her friends. Ooh, that's that funny. Yeah, how about that? Uh, the other two, one for your PT, was the rehearsal and then succession, which I have not seen. I've heard about this rehearsal. This is the one, like, it's in the future or something like that. In fact, I'll tell you exactly, that brings it exactly full uh, circle. When they were doing this Wordle game on NFL Network this morning, I guess one of the Peter is Peter Schrager, right? Uh, that's on uh, Good Morning Football. He he he's in love with this show, the rehearsal on HBO Max, and said, "This is the if you're not watching the show, you're doing it wrong. Like you have to watch this." All right, uh, there you go. That's entertainment from Pete Thompson. By the way, Kyle Brandt, who is also on Good Morning Football, that's correct, is starting his own podcast called uh, like from Brandt's Basement or something. Yeah, the mm. shtick the shtick is is that it's basically like all of whatever he wants to talk about, yes. and it's from his basement. And literally. apparently, he was teasing that he's going to have a starting quarterback on with him every Tuesday. He was on the McAfee show yesterday, teasing that he will have because McAfee has Aaron Rodgers on. So, what's he was, the guy from the Packers? Lazard is that his name? Alan Lazard, yeah, the wide receiver. Yeah, because they asked him on Good Morning Football. They, they closed an interview with him today saying, we know you're too young to have ever seen this movie, but are you familiar with the movie Con Air? And then they sort of segued into that Rogers walking out looking like Cameron Poe. And what it turns out that Aaron Rodgers asked Lazard, hey, can you bring in one of those T-shirts for me like uh, tomorrow to the con? If you're going to go buy some, would you, he texted him, if you're going to go buy some, would you buy, get some for me too? And he's like, 
Well, I wasn't going to go buy any T-shirts, but because Aaron Rodgers asked me to go get a T-shirt, I went and got the T-shirt. And he had no idea it was going to blow up into this viral sensation. So then, like a good interviewer, they countered back at him and said, do you normally wear that style of T-shirt yourself? (laughs) Lazard, and he's like, no, but again, if your starting quarterback asks you to go get him a T-shirt, you get him a T-shirt. Yeah. Uh, A couple quick things. Uh, Familia is back. He has signed with the Red Sox, so uh, if you want to go see an implosion, you can watch uh, Familia sign with the Red Sox. How about this uh, Live Golf PGA Tour lawsuit, PT? I don't, uh, you know, it's funny. I I understand why they're doing it, but I don't know that they're going to get a lot of traction out of it. It, it, The PGA Tour put the stuff out and and flat out said, like, this is what we're going to do if you do this. I, I don't know that, I mean, it hasn't gotten thrown out yet, but I'm surprised that they, that some lawyer out there thinks that the live tour has a, has a good defense, you right. know? I mean, basically they're saying you can't have your cake and eat it too. So. All right. We'll find uh, out. Sports bash. That's entertainment. Pete Thompson. He'll be back for happy hour Friday on Friday show right here on the sports bash live on 97.3 ESPN. All right, PT. All right, MG. Take care, buddy. All right. Uh, I got another name for you right now. Let me uh, get another name so we get another qualifier out there. Who we got? Who we got? Who we got? Who we got? Um, we got uh, Kevin Coulter. Kevin Coulter. Come on down. Kevin Coulter, you're entered for a chance to win an Eagles road trip. Kevin Coulter, if you're out there... Somebody knows Kevin Coulter, 609-573-3776. He's entered to win an Eagles road trip. Thanks to our friends at Philly Sports Trips and Garden State Brewery, where we'll be live on Happy Hour Friday, August 26th. The live show will be giving away an Eagles road trip with our friends at Philly Sports Trips. Kevin Coulter, we're looking for you. You're qualified for that Eagles road trip. Now, back with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, getting ready to wrap up this uh, Tuesday show. Tomorrow, Mike and Gary, John McMullen, Jeff Mosher, Jeff Kerr, a lot of football on tomorrow's show. Phillies as well. Taking on the Marlins. We the uh, Phillies lineup. Earlier today, I'll give that to you one more time before we get out of here for the the late crowd. We've got uh, Schwarber, Hoskins, Bohm, Realmuto, Castellanos, Segura, Veerling, Sosa, Marsh, Wheeler pitching tonight. So there's your uh, line of the Phillies. I saw this on social media yesterday. I meant to get into it today, and I totally forgot about it. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. Uh, first concert, last concert, next concert. Wow. Uh. Ironically enough, my first concert was Stone Temple Pilots. The last concert I've been to was Stone Temple Pilots. I went a couple months ago, oddly enough. Now, different lead singer. And my next concert, I don't really have the answer to this question, but I would like it to be Smashing Pumpkins. I just don't think they're touring anymore. Are we only going with like larger, like name performers? Are we going like any tier? Well, I don't want to hear like uh, five times famous. Right, well, then, like somebody you saw, like the 
uh, Nucky's uh, bar over there in Ventnor. <laughs> All right. Well, then the last concert I went to was Usher and T.I. When was that? I want to say it was around 2011, 2012. Wow. Go back a ways. Now, before I went to STP, I think OAR was the last. I got like all these like letters. Three letters. OAR, STP. First concert was what? First concert. That's the problem I'm trying to remember. My mind is like, I guess my first concert was DC Talk. I don't know who that is. That's okay. First concert, last concert, and your next concert will be... Hit us up on the text board. We'll talk about it tomorrow. 609-403-0973. Congratulations to all the qualifiers today. We'll do it again tomorrow. Enter right now on our website, 973ESPN.com, for a Eagles road trip to Washington to see the Eagles and the Commanders. Go to 973ESPN.com now and listen for your name tomorrow.